JR. It's been the toughest ticket in pro wrestling to get, but we have finally arrived here at the sold-out Now Arena in Chicago, Illinois. And there's one of the questions the fans want to know. Is it going to be coffin drop time? Can Darby Allen put the coffin drop on CM Punk? CM Punk back in the ring for the first time in seven years. Fans from all over the world have converged on this arena here tonight, the Now Arena. It is packed. It's been sold out for months. And it is a hell of a hard ticket to get a hold of, Tony. But you have the best ticket in the house at your own home in front of your own TV with Justin Roberts. Also, just a note on John Moxley as well, because I think his the way he, his, his character is effectively the same in AEW as it was in WWE. It's just all much harder. It just feels... Mm looks tougher basically that's well, the, that's where we are whereas in WWE they took the Dean Ambrose as a psychopath and turned him into Dean Ambrose as wacky yeah didn't they the whereas problem. obviously they haven't done that in this there was no there's no guns in AEW put it that way and his hair looks <laughs> I mean he ain't got any he's bold didn't he you know and he looked so much better for it as well Dude, there was a moment there where an old man looked at you very very intensely like what are you fucking going about to say here what are you about yeah. to say about what's my he going to say about brother? hair yeah <laughs> He is my brethren. Go on, Moxes. I was going to say something now, but I got distracted by hair at all. <laughs> well, as that as ha- often happens. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. that. It may as well be like, if we ever reach the level of success on this podcast where we end up having some kind of like, you know, a book, you know, some podcasts, like uh, there's a Sopranos podcast I listen to, that they're basically doing a book about the oral history of the Sopranos. If we were to do that about the oral he- history of the random wrestling review, that would be the tagline at the bottom. I was going to say something, but then I got distracted thinking about hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the title of Old Man's Autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was in a I was in a stand in a, in a meeting the other day in work, and um, there's a guy on the team who um, always wears like kind of big headphones when he's on like these calls, these these Skype calls. And for the first time, he wasn't wearing them, and his um, he gelled his hair, and I could not stop talking about his hair. So much so the fact that I think it made him a bit uncomfortable because we had a meeting. <laughs> We had a meeting, another meeting, about 10 minutes later after that one finished, and he put, put his headset back on. <laughs> so, what, what were you saying about his hair? Oh, it's lovely. Lovely coiffed head of hair. Magnificent. Almost like Ross Series 5 or 6 of Friends-esque. Magnificent <laughs> head of hair. The more I kept going about it, the more comfortable we got. It was amazing. So, was it just you and him in the meeting? To be fair, it wasn't even really a meeting. It was me from outside his bedroom window just yelling at him. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler, and today we are pretty much winging it because just literally moments before the show, we made a snap decision to instead change today's scheduled episode from what it was going to be to the recent AEW All Out pay-per-view. And I think, to be honest, we're doing it simply because none of us really even expected necessarily to watch it. I wasn't even necessarily going to watch it, and I think I'm probably the most invested in the product until literally the day after it happened and decided, yeah, I'm going to give this a go. Um, Joining me today for this strange podcast, because I've got no notes, I haven't got my usual scripted intro, Um, we have Old Man, who is sporting a very fetching basketball top today as we are doing this in the baking heat of september the 7th what's going on 
the 7th of September, a day that will go down in infamy for the Random Wrestling Review podcast, where, as Tom said just before we came on air, well, I came on air ages ago, but he said this is the first time we're breaking free of the network. Mm. Of lies! Perpetuated by Tinky. He can't do a script. He's always off the cuff. He's just such a professional. He's bloody good at it. Uh, thanks for that, old man. But I, Shut I, up. I, I'm sure our listeners will <laughs> dispute that when they hear the quality of what we're saying right now. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Because I'm also joined by Tom Smith. Tom, I've got nothing for you because you're just, you're not wearing a basketball top. So you, there's nothing overly, you know, easy for me to just come up with off the top of the, my head. Well, you say that, but since I've uh, been acu- uh, this over the last year, since we've been at lockdown, I've basically forgotten how to dress myself in a manner that is appropriate. And I pretty much almost exclusively wear basketball shorts, which is what I'm currently wearing today. So I'm wearing a pair of Golden State Warriors home shorts at the moment. I'm disappointed that you didn't go full kit wanker and wear the top two. <laughs> Do you know what? I could because I've got one as well. I've got the match. I've got the corresponding thing. It's a bit tight. It's a bit tight at the moment, though. I mean, obviously, we're recording this on the 7th of September. The intention is to get this out on the Sunday following that. But who knows how quickly I'll be able to edit it. I guess that will still be up in the air. But as I said, we are covering AEW All Out. 2021 today this is the second time we've done a contemporary show which we've we did Royal Rumble obviously very early on this year and I guess we should start where we always start which is our expectations going into this show before we do that I will just quickly put out a plug for our social medias uh, channels because we I wanted to quickly remind you that we are available at rwrpod uk on twitter facebook and instagram so make sure you give us a follow so let's start with you old man what were your expectations of this show i was looking forward to this but as always with these big shows this was cm punk's homecoming to wrestling not just in chicago and it was kind of framed around that i had some concerns around other matches on the card but i was looking forward to it there were a couple of things that i was very much looking forward to tag match and Punk's match. And also, in spite of the fact that we give him a kick on it, I was very much looking forward to Jericho's match with MJF. Because I love seeing a 50-year-old man roll around on the floor. It's what you see in the mirror, isn't it, most days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he was wearing slightly more clothing than I would be, but... <laughs> that's a horrible... That's a horrible image for the older... Uh, for the listener who still haven't seen me, unless they walk past me on the street. Or they're outside my flat now. There are some people out there, but hopefully he's not bloody James Truepenny <laughs> and his bloody dick out. <laughs> <laughs> and that Matt Roberts with his ass out. <laughs> I think I think I'm rather Matt's ass, <laughs> to be honest, of those two. Uh, Tom, your expectations. Oh, they were. I, I never. This is the first time I'd ever watched an AEW pay per view. Never had before, and my expectations were evidently quite high because I bought it. So I must have thought that it would have been worth doing. Annoyingly, so I bought it, and I must I must give this guy a shout out because uh, a chap called Navdeep Rahil, who follows us and is quite in- interacts with us quite a lot on Twitter, posted a uh, posted then a free link to it on YouTube about three seconds after I confirmed my purchase. But <laughs> but it's it's okay, it's okay. He's he's done a doing a service for the people, so that's absolutely fine. Um, so they're obviously quite high. I mean, I haven't seen anywhere I haven't seen anywhere as much AW as as either of you guys. Um, so I was quite looking to it. I've got a little bit of knowledge of some of the guys on the card. So I know like Omega and the Young Bucks having seen some of their like Wrestle Kingdom matches. And obviously, um, I was, I'm a big fan of uh, a big fan of the Lucha Bros because they both used to be in Lucha Underground, which I've mentioned a few times in the show. I was, I was a really big fan of. So expectations were, were pretty high, actually. So um, 
yeah, I was, I'd, I'd got the. I don't think I'd necessarily got gaffer tape out. Maybe some kind of masking tape was on was on the old bollocks on the table. So it was it wasn't as tough and, and, and hard wearing as gaffer tape, but it was um pr- pretty much stuck on the table. Bit, bit more purchase though than usual, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no less less fear when ripping it off. I'd say. <laughs> Yes. yes, this is also my first AEW pay per view, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, I, so I, I, so that makes me the veteran in this. You are the veteran, yeah. I, I was, I've been very much a recent convert to AEW. I've been watching the weekly show. It's free to air on UK television, Dynamite. So it's, you know, it's something that I can just watch. And also, I like the fact that, you know, I, I love all, all these streaming services and whatnot, and you know, casting stuff to your TV and whatnot. But the best way to watch anything on television, in my opinion, is still through recording it and then being able to fast forward through the breaks even on the fight app for example you still have to experience the breaks you can fast forward through them but you kind of you still have to experience them so and it's easier to fast forward i find with a television recording um anyway that's just me being old the (laughs) my expectations of the show despite me being perhaps the one who's perhaps most kind of been bigging up aw over recent times the build-up, I felt, left me a little bit cold, which is why I didn't think I would end up watching this show. Because taking the, the big four matches, for example, the Kenny Omega-Christian Cage build, in my opinion, had kind of peaked with their match on Rampage, which is on the debut episode of Rampage, where Christian Cage won the Impact world title from Kenny Omega. So, And I also felt like, even before that point, it was not likely that Christian Cage was going to have a chance in hell of beating Kenny Omega. Then when he beat him on Rampage, it just absolutely solidified that fact there was just no way he was going to beat Kenny Omega so it took away a lot of for me it just fell short unfortunately the build up to that point which had started really when Christian Cage had first come into the company back in February had been really good because he first when he first turned up said he wanted to win the AEW world title they had a few confrontations early on then they split off from one another and now they've come back for this match so I was really impressed for that it's just that they kind of they kind of gave it away a couple of weeks ago same thing goes for the Chris Jericho MGF match like they had had a match on uh, dynamite just a, just a week sorry a few days before cm punk's debut on rampage at that friday and so again like they'd already done it very recently and again it had been a really good long build but i felt like they peaked with that match so i was a bit bit underwhelmed by the build for both those matches then the tag match i was very excited for so there was no problem with the build for that and i thought that made a lot of sense especially with the steel cage gimmick being added given the way the young bucks have been winning all their matches lately the cm punk darby allen match now we obviously had our bonus episode a few weeks ago where oh at least i was very positive about that opening promo and i think tom you had some reservations interestingly as i kind of came down from the height high of that kind of moment and looked back on it a little bit i started to come around to more of your way of thinking not necessarily about the amount that you talked about wwe but more just the fact that the match with darby allen in that promo and really in every subsequent promo was not about him coming back to see if he could win and he could hang with these guys from a competitive standpoint but more about whether he could hang with them from a performance standpoint and for me that wasn't much of a draw because i didn't really expect cm punk to be as good as he was seven years ago the man's not wrestled for seven years i wasn't expecting a really amazing performance from him so to base it around whether he could still perform would always be a weakness for me but it was especially a weakness given that fact and i just thought the build should have been about cm punk 
whether he could win or lose, whether he could still compete at the level of even someone like Darby Allen, who isn't quite yet a main event guy within within AEW. So, uh, yeah, the bill just let, left me a little bit cold. So I wasn't super excited going in until, of course, woke up on Monday and just uh, and I just obviously, first of all, you know, kind of saw one of the, the big surprises, but managed to avoid all the others. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to watch it. I'm going to I'm going to buy it. And so I bought it, too. And I think, Tom, it's the first pay-per-view you said it was the first pay-per-view you'd ever bought in your in your life other than i'm assuming some of the late 2000 wrestlemanias because we no. probably would have we probably oh yeah, yeah. Them together at some point yeah yeah, yeah we, it would have been like a fund of, of lads putting the money together um but it's definitely the first ever pay-per-view i've knowingly bought myself i thought you were going to say you surely bought a pay-per-view by having bought the dvd of it which i was going to get semantics in its in its full effect um but no it was it they, they got me the, the cunts they fucking they dragged me in didn't they <laughs> And uh, and we'll we'll come on to that uh, like when we when we wrap up I think but yeah uh, definitely it was definitely the first pay per view that I've bought to sit down and watch myself certainly and and old man I know that you said when we first started doing this that you were probably the guy that was most into modern day wrestling basically when we started doing this mm. neither myself or Tom were watching much at all I wonder with you and I'm the same question to Tom really have you kind of watched started watching more wrestling or got more into it as a consequence of us doing this podcast since the beginning of the year than you were before. And old man, I guess with you, it might be a bit different. So we said this when we did the little bonus episode for those lucky fuckers that have got this in their ears, that I don't really care when Punk come back and then he came back. And I echo both of your points on the CM Punk promo. Having watched it back, it's actually not very good, but it's a moment in time. It's the, like I said, when we did that little bonus episode, it's the entrance that gets me. It's the three or four minutes it takes him to get down to the ring. But I have started watching AEW, not religiously, but I mean, the fact that I'm watching it says that I'm watching more because I don't watch anything apart from the pay-per-views. And one thing I have noticed, which has caught me off guard, is that I'm suddenly quite sniffy about WWE. When I read the results of, like, for example, where like you said a couple of times, 7th of September, Monday Night Raw from the 6th of September, I read the results from that. I think there's three rematches from last week on there. And it's just like, bloody hell. Apparently it's a decent episode. But it's like, I don't want to see I want to watch Paul White and QT Marshall. <laughs> I think that's the problem, old man. What you what you said there is that's that's it's a decent episode, and that will have been the best episode they've done in months, mm. maybe even years. And that that's the problem. This has definitely got back up. Well, I was kind of spoiler alert, kind of towards the end of this, but this has made me tempted to to subscribe to the uh, AEW kind of package, which is only like four ninety nine a month, and I pay three ninety nine a month for well, an ITV uh, service that gets rid of the adverts, and all I watch on there is Dynamite. So I figured for the extra quid, I may as well. Just get the other stuff as well and watch it if i want to i've been paying a bit more attention to aw but in terms of like regular weekly wrestling shows shortly after um my daughter was born and they were in the hospital for a little bit i did find myself watching especially over the weekend of money in the bank coming back and the crowd uh, money in the bank pay-per-view happening and the crowds coming back i wanted to watch a bit more wrestling just to see what it was like so on that first week um that, that crowds were back i watched every single show so i watched smackdown which i quite enjoyed I must admit, I thought it was a decent show. I watched the pay-per-view, Money in the Bank. I watched the um, 
I watched the episode of Raw afterwards, and I even watched the episodes of NXT, but I haven't watched anything since then. <laughs> so I've watched a bit of SummerSlam on the network, but other than that, that's it. And the stuff that I've been watching more often is is AEW stuff. And what I will say, again, like Old Man said, I haven't watched everything. I haven't even watched every episode of Dynamite. But what I have watched, I've quite enjoyed. And I was especially um, uh, intrigued by the Jericho and MJF feud. Um, the fact they're bringing people in. So I really enjoyed the match with Juventu Guerrera. I really enjoyed the match with, with Nick Gage even though it's not really my sort of thing I, mm. I still quite enjoyed it because it was just a really ballsy move and who's he faced before he faced someone else good didn't he the week before like in the first sean, second sean week. spears was the first person he faced yeah he, he I, was um ty dillinger. ty dillinger that's right ty dillinger in wwe yeah he's so a perfect I, 10 but he wears a 12 <laughs> kind of, i think i will get watch a bit more AEW. That is actually something that I neglected to mention is that that is something I've done. I've signed up to that because it's £3.72p for a month. I use the WWE Network predominantly for this. Mm. And also, I like their documentaries. But to be honest, I probably find those through other means, if you know what I'm saying. But mm. yeah, it's um, the fact that I'm paying for anything new mm. is quite an astonishing turn of events. Yeah, I've definitely found myself. I mean, when we started doing this podcast, I, I genuinely, the weeks before that, I didn't really, if I thought about it, I would have thought, I'm probably done with wrestling now. Probably not going to watch it ever again because I thought I finally got to that point where I was out. It's all old man's fault. Just dragged me back in with his little tweet, his little text, sorry, saying, yeah, come and I'm watching Royal Roman 95. And I was like, I'll give it a watch then. <laughs> and then it all started from there. You said, let's do a podcast. Mm. It's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. I think over this since we've done this podcast, I've watched wrestling the most consistently than I have in years. I think, Mm. and it's good. Reminds me why I like it. Well, that's good. That's always good. So let's go into this show, shall we? Starting with the opener that was on the the main show. There was a uh, ten man tag match prior to the main show, which saw Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, Wheeler Utah, and Jurassic Express defeat the Hardy Family Office. Which includes Matt Hardy, um, Isaiah Cassidy, Mark Quinn, and J- Angelico and Jack Evans. But yes, the first match on the actual pay-per-view was for the TNT Championship. Uh, Miro against Eddie Kingston. This one went for 13 minutes and ended when Miro hit a lovely, uh, lovely kick to Eddie Kingston's head and got the win. Tom, what do you think of this? Um, I quite enjoyed this match actually. Um, I always quite liked Rusev. Uh, Miro's previous incarnation and I, I always quite thought he was quite a good wrestler and, and maybe listen not everyone needs to be a main eventer um, so you can't you can't do that with everyone but I did think that his his push was somewhat curtailed and he could have probably been better than he was didn't help that he saddled with the foreigner gimmick um, but what I did always like about him in WWE is that he always no matter what happened with his character he always put everything into it and had a go with it which is why I'll be, I'll be honest I was quite surprised when they got rid of him because everything that he did he managed to turn something out of it so it turned something into it sorry but the match in itself was good I, I, I said I'm not I'm not really sure about Eddie Kingston I don't really know too much about him by all means he's quite a good promo and, he, and what I quite like about him is that he looks quite hard doesn't mm. he he looks like a fucking tough bastard and a mean bastard there was a couple of bits in that match that I did quite like well the main bit really being is that when he he couldn't quite get the camel clutch onto him yeah. and couldn't quite get him onto it but I always love the brutal stomp that he does on their back just before he does it and it looks so much worse now that he actually wears boots in the ring which I don't yeah. think he did as Rusev and also Rusev or Miro should I say is a big fucking boy 
as well. He looks in great shape. He looks like an absolute tank. And overall, I thought thought the match was quite fun. A, a fun way to start the promo, or start the start the pay per view. Sorry, at least the, the the televised part of it. And the fact that it was for like an opening match for a championship made it feel like there was a little bit more importance to it. So yeah, overall, I enjoyed this match. I absolutely love this. They beat the crap into each other, and I am quite down on old Miro, especially during the end of his run at WWE. Then he was very good at all. To be honest, whenever I watched him in a match, I thought, nah, you're not really up to it, mate. But watching this, like Tommy said, he's in great shape, really good shape, looks a double R bastard. Eddie Kingston, not sure I've ever seen him have a match. Yeah, just not a lot to hate because they just beat the tar into each other for 13 minutes. And I just thought, you know what? That's how you start it. Because I was guessing that was probably going to be the only match like it because the only other contender for like a proper, like, smash mouth brawl was the big show match but that was never going to be like that as much as i would have liked it also the state of uh, miro's chest during that match at the end yeah of that match, oh, fucking i look like fucking minced beef <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I thought this was a really good opener i really liked it it's right down my alley this was proper like hospital big men beating the shit out of each other lovely stuff also I'm a massive, massive Eddie Kingston fan. Really like Eddie Kingston. The reason I've seen him before is I went through a period so a few years ago of watching lots of Chikara. And Eddie Kingston featured quite heavily in the early days of Chikara. And which is really strange because he is exactly the same character. In, and Chikara is a family kind of kind of goofy lucha kind of show but he still plays this character and his promos have always been magnificent he's just a magnificent promo his matches are usually really good and this was just an example i was really pleased for him actually to just get this moment to open up what is probably AEW's biggest show in their history so far and just have a really good match with miro who i think has done a great job when he first turned up in AEW. He seemed to be doing the same semi-serious, if not even really that serious at all, stuff that he was doing towards the end of his WWE period. But then something changed earlier this year and he just suddenly became super serious. And it is, since then, he hasn't looked back. He's been fantastic. He beat Darby Allen for the TNT title and he's just crushed everyone he's come across. And he didn't quite crush Eddie Kingston, but still beat him. They've been booking him really, really, really strong. And I think that in the long run, he's got a lot of possibilities going forward. He's probably the best placed monster style wrestler that they have got on the roster at the moment. So that might play really well into his hands in the future, I think. So, yes, second match saw John Moxley take on Satoshi Kojima. Uh, uh, this one just under 12 minutes. Can't remember how it ended. As I said, we haven't got notes. We're flying blind here. I would just happen to remember the end of the Miro Eddie Kingston one. Oh, man, your thoughts on this one. If uh, Just before we go into that, actually, on what you said a moment ago about any other match being like the opener, this was the one I was most expecting to be like the opener. Mm. So the end to this is a double not dirty deeds camera what it's called uh, paradise yes well and tommy thank you yeah that's the end it's two of them one old kojima poor little lamb i thought this was all right you know so i'm not wasn't the biggest dean ambrose fan was the big dean ambrose guy in particular the last couple of years i'd say pretty much when he got to the main event of wwe and it was nice to see him looking like he was having a good time and yeah a, a bit like the first but not quite as hard but they just kind of beat each other up for a little bit and it worked because i thought when i have no idea who this gentleman is but they were talking about how tough he is on commentary 
old Satoshi Kojima. And I thought, oh, that's going to beat him up. It's going to be the same old thing, but probably not as good. And to be honest, it was. It was the same thing as the match before. It wasn't quite as good. Mm. But there was nothing to dislike about it. And yeah, I was just like, you know what? We're two for two here. I, I'm happy about this. To be honest, I forgot this match was even on the card. I knew the Miro and Eddie Kingston one was. I was like, this is two of the weaker matches on the card. And they've done all right for me for the first half hour of the show. Cheers, lads. Um, yeah, I, again, I enjoyed it. This is, I mean, I'm not going to lie, it's the best match I've ever seen with John Moxley in, or Dean Ambrose. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and uh, you mean, you guys know, I, I was not a fan of the Dean Ambrose character or his work at all in WWE. But I thought, I thought it was, it was all right. I really liked the fact that it was quite a hard battling match. There's quite a lot of the, you know, the slow moments in it where they're doing the one person punches, then the other person punches, and the crowd get into it. And I like the fact that it wasn't, a paradigm shift, then a pinfall attempt, which he kicked out of, and then another one. He hit one paradigm shift on him, then picked him up and hit another one with it on him, which he even like lifted up, lifted him up off the floor and hit him, like drove him down to the mat, even even match even harder. Mm-hmm. And I just like that. It was like, no, no, I know that's not going to be enough to take him down, so I'm going to do it. I like the fact that um, uh, Satoshi Kojima came down with the New Japan kind of graphics in the background. I just quite, I just quite like that because obviously, why would he? If he's not a regular, why would he have a Titantron made up? Mm-hmm. So I just quite like that. I thought it was just quite a nice touch. And obviously, at the end of it, he was, um, uh, he being a Moxley, was confronted by someone called Minoru Suzuki, who I've never heard of before, much to no one's surprise. <laughs> um, but the way that he was presented made me think, who's this? And I immediately went on to like Wikipedia, find out a little bit more about him. Why does he have such a big reputation? And and the commentary team, who I know that the commentary team on AEW had some criticism from from quite a few different corners of the internet, etc. Namely Jim Ross, who at times apparently sounds like he's drunk on commentary. But I thought they. In fact, throughout the entire card, I thought they were decent. Yeah. And I thought they did a really good job in selling the importance of um, uh, Minoru Suzuki when he came down. Yeah, I think, um, talking about the commentary, first of all, for me, the, the real gem of the commentary is Tony Schiavone. He's having a late career resurgence, mm. and he is... He just he's just great. He really seems up for it, seems really motivated. And I guess it helps. He's been away from the business for effectively 20 years. And so he's now kind of been refreshed. He's gone and done something else for a while. Now he's back. And I really think he's good. He seems to be someone said on Twitter a few weeks ago. It's kind of like the, the pulsating heart of AEW at the moment. He just feels like I think he just is building up a lot of goodwill through the way he interacts with some of the wrestlers. Obviously, the big show QT Marshall match is kind of built mm. around what happened with that and also he's got this kind of good chemistry with Britt Baker that he's built up over the over the weeks um to the point where Britt Baker's even said something like on Twitter like almost outside of Cape Fabe I would never allow Britt Baker to turn on Tony Schiavone it wouldn't be right so like it's just I just think he's I just think he's been fantastic and I really want to give him a lot of credit for the way he's kind of come back and just he's really he really feels like he's on it he really feels like he's on it this match, I completely agree with your um, your summary, old man. It is the same sort of match as the previous one, just not as good. And I think it was a mistake for them to put it on next. I felt like mm. you just want to separate these two matches because they're a bit similar. Didn't have a problem with either of them, thought they were fine, but just a bit too similar. Separate them a little bit and, and it wouldn't be such, such an obvious comparison to make between the two. Um, Kojima is 50 years old and... 
I mean, someone, I can't remember who it was. They, I think it might be The Undertaker. Someone compared the way he looks to the way The Undertaker looks at this age now. He's only about two, three years older than Kojima. It's just night and day. Kojima still could pass for 35. Like, he just yeah. looks amazing. And yet he's been working in some of the toughest places to work in the world for his whole career you know he was in new japan for 10 years then went to all japan for i think 10 15 years and then back to new japan and minoru suzuki so 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 go back to kojima he was a main guy in japan for many many years isn't a main guy anymore he's kind of on the he's kind of they use some of their veterans now as kind of guys who build up some of their lower level talents but he's still obviously quite a big star in japan suzuki meanwhile is is a is also a veteran but is still quite high up the totem pole in terms of the you know main event status so he's been like a major champion in in some of the big promotions even in the last couple of years and he's very very highly regarded as you know as the commentators made absolutely clear and in fairness a large amount of fans knew exactly who he was yeah and to the point where they're even able to sing along with his entrance music at one point so you know it wasn't like oh who's this japanese guy they're bringing out what's the point in this like a lot of these people this was quite important to a lot of people it was a great surprise when i saw him i was like oh my god goodness i've not seen minoru suzuki in a match before but i still knew he was and i was like crack crikey i did not expect to see him in in this so yeah just an interesting way of introducing him and then to have them sort of have their little fight afterwards was an interesting thing to do as well i guess made more sense than having him talk because i'm sure he's his english is not great uh, if if he can speak english at all so yeah, i guess it made it made the it was the best way to make the impression they wanted to make uh and they are, will be fighting on dynamite on wednesday so it was just kind of yeah. to set up that match interestingly because i found out about uh, about minora suzuki i read that he used to be in um, in Pancrase, which is like a, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, Pancrase, Pancrase, whatever, which is like a MMA promotion in um, in Japan. Um, but it kind of differs from like the UFC or, or any of the other big, um, or Pride, I think, was the other big like Japanese um, MMA promotion back in the day. Where in Pancrase, punches were banned, but you could hit people with open handed palm strikes. So people were basically getting knocked out in it by slaps. Like these brutal oh, slaps. This is absolutely fucking savage. If you haven't <laughs> seen any of it, it's brutal. Um, and Big Ken Sharrock was in Pancreas as well. God, of Ken. Of course Let's he was. A, let's have a little note on Satoshi Kojima and mm-hmm. your Undertaker comparison. How many double deep, double wide caskets do you reckon Satoshi Kojima's had to carve? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's in fairness. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. if, if Kojima had had to face Yokozuna in the midst of his 20s, then maybe he'd yeah. be looking as rough as the Undertaker too. Well, and if you'd had to work a programme with Sid, with Kevin Nash, oh. Oh, Mabel, with Giant Gonzalez, Mabel. Um, Kama, Kama, the Supreme Fighting Machine. Yeah, there's, you know, I, I give you that. I give you that in yeah. fairness. Yeah. Okay, match number three, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, defending the Women's Championship against Chris Statlander. This one was 11 and a half minutes in length. And guess what? Yeah, She won by submission, but I can't remember quite how it, how the sequence went. So neither can I, if I'm being Good. honest. And I have to be, I have to kind of have a bit of an admission here that basically I knew who someone was in every match apart from in the women's matches. And I must admit, I kind of switched off a little bit during them. And I think you've said before, it's the one thing that WWE have got over them, over AEW. The, the thing they've got is, is their women's division. But from what I saw of this match, or what I can remember of this match, it was quite good. The finisher, that lockjaw, 
looks horrible because it's it's like almost like a bit of like a crossface kind of thing but then she puts her hand in their mouth like and adds like a mandible claw element to it as well and it it looks fucking horrible a move i really really hate to take but overall i i thought the match match was decent i mean you can see why people are quite high on um brit baker and uh and i must admit oh chris statlander has got a tremendous name as well what a name (laughs) statlander you'd have thought that that had been some kind of like american sports statisticians website you know i quite like i quite like i'm thinking of like statman dave from uh radio five live um so chris statlander came out and uh and and won the match or lost the match should i say in uh in a, a 11 minutes and 34 seconds that's the kind of stat that he or she would come up with but yeah it was it was all right but i, I must admit i haven't got i haven't got a huge amount to say about this because as i said i wasn't really paying that much attention to it so the closing sequence i remembered now is that um first of all Britt baker hits an incredible destroyer off the oh, top yeah. right on Statlander and then does the curb stomp and then locks in the lockjaw for the submission victory. I think she in the meantime kicks out of the the destroyer. Britt Baker is is the star of the division. And when I say that AEW's women's division is not what WWE's is, it's more about the depth of stars less about the quality of wrestling it's just they do not have the depth of recognizable and over stars that the wwe's do and that's why i think wwe should be focusing more on the women's division because they have a real depth of genuinely big well-known women's wrestling stars where AEW simply don't but they do have Britt baker and Britt baker is massively over just really really over it's why cm punk said that line at the beginning of his first promo in AEW, which was you guys sure know how to make a guy feel like Britt baker in pittsburgh because the previous week they'd been in Pittsburgh and Britt Baker was so over, almost as over as CM Punk was in Chicago. It was was insane. So I think she's brilliant. This was a really good match. Really, really good match. I thought it was, uh, yeah, I thought I was really impressed by it. And that, that, that flipping destroyer was just insanely good. Can I just quickly add something that usually grinds my gears? Now, and now I think about it, that my gears are being slightly ground. Part of the problem, though, about everyone being so over with the company is it is hard to tell sometimes who the heel and the babyface is. Now, I think in the in the opening match, it's pretty obvious Miro is the heel in that in, in that instance. And I think we could talk about the the next match as well, the, the tag match. It's pretty clear by the actions of the match. But there are times in this match coming in as someone who doesn't really watch watch it, try and find out who it is because. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think John Moxley and Satsushi Kojima were both baby faces. Um, and I didn't know who the heel was in this match. Yeah, and I think I think what's happened here is that Britt Baker has been a heel for a while, but she's also, as I said, the one really genuinely over woman star in the company. And a couple of weeks ago, after that Pittsburgh appearance, actually, they had an opportunity to sort of just quietly move her into being a baby face. They could have done it there and then. But then the following week, or that week maybe, they added Jamie Hayter to Britt Baker's little stable of people who came in and they they attacked someone to try and reinforce her as a heel. And I thought it was a really big mistake. I thought they should have just lent into it and gone, you know what? She's a star. She's the champion. Let's just make her a face. We don't have to make a big deal of it. We don't have to give her a turn. We can just literally quietly make her a baby face and then slowly have her demonstrate more heroic tendencies over the coming weeks and and months. It doesn't need to be a major thing, but they didn't do it. And the problem is, is she does get more often than not as as popular reaction, if not more than the other women, even though she is the heel because she's the star of the division. Mm. And I think in this instance, this is they just got that wrong. They just stayed on course with her as a heel and should have quietly made her a babyface. Oh man, what were your thoughts on the match? 
I thought this was decent. A bit like Tommy, to be honest. When I was watching this, the early bit, I was actually technically working. So I caught glimpses of this. The one thing that I did notice, I've seen her have a couple of matches on their weekly shows, is that Chris Statlander looked magnificent in this. And it did feel like they were kind of making something of her, which I think is always the aim, isn't it? Where Mm. you try and make someone look good. And also, they really played up Orange Cassidy's role because he kind of like is protecting Statlander a little early on and into the midpoint of the match. And then when it properly gets going, he really steps back and gives them the spotlight. And I think it was a very good way of using the rub of someone else to get another person a reaction from the crowd. Agree on Britt Baker. She is excellent. And I've only seen a handful of matches with her in. And when she first came in to AEW, I was watching uh, watching these pay-per-views with friend of the show, Lek, and she was like, absolutely fine. But like 18 months, two years on, the improvement is incredible. And it does make you think, like, I've seen um, that Jamie Hayter take someone to pieces on a show the other week, and she's a Brit as well. Go on, Brit. I, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this more than I thought I was going to. I think the thing that really impresses me about Britt Baker, and it's because these days there's like a minimum standard of quality in terms of the ring anyway that nearly everybody in the major companies lives up to. There's not many people who are at a level like... I don't know, Jim Duggan, for example, or Kamala these days. In general, you get a relatively decent high level of quality of in-ring action. Omas begs to differ. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's true. There's one or two. But, you know, in in general, most people. And it's more about how they handle themselves and how they carry themselves. And that's the thing that Britt Baker's got right at the moment. Is She absolutely is carrying herself like a star. That's a much harder thing to teach someone is how you carry yourself like a star and and therefore just get over just from your presence, just by walking to the ring. Almost. She she engages the audience. And so, as I say, that's where I get the I'm really impressed with her is less. She's very good in the ring, but that's not really something that makes her stand out. It's more that she just carries herself as a star. And she's actually a dentist. (laughs) She's actually a dentist. And also uh, Adam Cole's uh, girlfriend, I believe. No, oh, really. Oh, hang on, hang on. Tinky, you referred to her off air as Adam Cole's piece. That's what you said. <laughs> the least I, you know Tinky what? Things ever be said. <laughs> I was just about to say that. I don't think I'd ever even think of that word to describe someone. Hey, Tinky, the off air comments beg to differ. How <laughs> often do you reckon people like they they like rock up to a dinner party like people's house they don't know and they're like, what's your name? Dr. Britt Baker, MD, and he's like, Adam Cole, baby. And they're like, for fuck's sake, just tell us your names. <laughs> Stop adding all this nonsense to it. She wouldn't just say MD, though. She'd be like, D, M, D. That's what <laughs> she would be like, properly, like, hamming it up. And, he, yeah. and, he'd, be, and he'd do the whole, like, on his, like, pitches, <laughs> like, Adam Cole, baby. <laughs> and all, all their mates are like, for fuck's sake, just say your name properly. <laughs> so, is she the greatest wrestling dentist of all time? <laughs> Well, she's only really got Isaac Yankum to compete with. Precisely. So the, <laughs> so the question's there. I might be wrong in taking a task on this. I don't think he was actually a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're on to match four. And it is oh. the match for the AEW oh. World Tag Team Championship. Still cage between the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks. And I think, Tom, you kind of jumped in and started talking about this the last match first so i'm gonna have to hand it to old man (sighs) 
Bloody hell, lads. <laughs> so it's all out 2019. They have a match. They have a ladder match. And it's fantastic. So I, my expectations for this were high, very high, because I'd seen what they could. And to be honest, I've not seen either of them have a bad match like, that I've seen in my limited watching of AEW. I mean, this is unreal how good this is. I, I'll be honest, I, I wish you went through to me because I have no idea how to sum up how good it is because <laughs> I watched it twice yesterday, which wow. I don't think I've ever done. That's amazing. In my life. So I watched it when I was working, in inverted commas, stopped working for this. <laughs> and then I watched it yesterday evening, about an hour after I finished work because I'd spoken to uh, young Thomas and then it, I couldn't get it out of my head. And I was like, ah, you know, I'm going to watch it again and make sure it was that good. It is sensational. It is just four guys that have incredible trust in each other that know exactly how to eke every bit of drama out of every flip and kick and choreographed manoeuvre that they do without making it feel choreographed. Like, there are sections in this where people are just waiting to be hurricane Ryanhead or cross-bodied or booted in the face. Don't care. Because they've got the story behind it. They've got a reason for things happening. They're trying. They're always trying to one-up each other in the match. And there's a, a lovely sequence where they're stood before. You've got alternate members as if they're in a square. And they start with a punch. And then they punch each other in turn. And then they do slaps. And then they go kicks. And it's just brilliantly done. I mean, the the moment that it turns in particular is where, so the young boats get their little shoe out with the uh, thumbtacks, the $5,000 shoe with, <laughs> with as JR said, with 10 cent thumbtacks on the bottom because uh, Don Callis is on commentary as well. And this is also where Tony Schiavone really steps up in this match was really where I was like, go on, Tony, he's having a good time. But there is a little sequence that's effectively the Young Bucks finishing sequence. So it's is it BTE, the double knee? Yeah. And I believe it's on Penta, but I'm happy to be corrected. And Ray Phoenix is just down. Poor Ray. He's, he's down and out. And they cover him. And then the millisecond before, he just puts a hand and breaks the pin up. And the crowd are like, holy fuck, this is <laughs> happening. This is yeah. continuing. And it is, I believe, the only time watching a wrestling show that I can remember that reaction other than when Shawn Michaels kicked out of the tombstone at WrestleMania 25, <laughs> where all of a sudden, because obviously we were there, the crowd just, everyone was just off their feet and they were like, oh my god this is carrying on this is going to be the best thing ever and you know what i was fracking my brains last night after i watched it and we watched an absolutely belting tag team match between the undisputed era and um the two bold lads Mm. and this blows out of the water and that was fantastic and i was like i don't think i've ever seen a better tag team match putting in the steel cage genius absolute genius phenomenal stuff Six stars in the Tokyo Dome or in the front garden. Lovely old job. <laughs> it's it's one of those matches that as you're watching it, you're like, this is this is something awesome. Yeah, this is something. This is this is beyond that. This is awesome gets gets bandied around far too easily these days. This mm. is the sort of match that, that should be that should be reserved for. It's 
absolutely phenomenal. Like you said, old man, like, you're right when the when the match turns when they when they throw in the five thousand dollar Air Jordan with the thumbtacks on, the bit where Pentagon kind of sacrifices himself to get the kick mm. rather than than Phoenix getting it is is just that kind of that kind of little bit of storytelling that I think like maybe a few years ago that the, the young bucks weren't necessarily capable of doing in their matches. They are outstanding heels. Outstanding. Um, they there's moments in the matches where I'm like, these fucking cunts can't win this match. I <laughs> and I know, I know that it's I know that it's, you know, predetermined. I know we know like they know who's gonna win, but I'm sat there willing the Lucha Bros to win because they're so good. I loved their entrance. I thought their entrance is brilliant. Them coming out with the Aztec kind of headdresses on mm. with the with the rappers, I thought was brilliant. Oh, what's his name? Um, cunt on commentary, Don Callis. Yeah, uh, we'll come back onto him later, but he's such a dickhead as well, and he's brilliant in the role. Added another layer to it with him being on commentary. I loved the spot when Ray Phoenix came off the top of the cage because there's just a bit. If you notice as he's coming off, because I was I watched it for the first time, I thought that's a bit weird because he hits all three of them. He hits the young bucks and he hits Penta, and Penta gets straight back up. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And then if you watch the replay of it, Penta takes just a step back just before um, Phoenix hits the young bucks. He takes a little step back, removes the impact from him, and then he's able to get up and do his thing. I thought it was just an absolutely phenomenal match. Um, it starts off hot. There's that bit as well, just prior to um, prior to uh, Ray Phoenix coming off the top rope, when I've got no idea how he does it, but I think it's Nick Jackson manages to almost fly up the cage. Yes. yes. Absurd. Yeah. Absolutely absurd how quickly he gets up there. It's an, and that in itself is just a tremendous act of impressive athleticism taking away anything else from the rest of the match just that after being in the match for like probably about 15 minutes at that point and going all out for for that amount of time with no real respite was just an impressive act of athleticism and i thought it was genuinely one of the best matches i've ever seen i i don't know how else to describe it other than that I think I I think I have to agree. I think that it was one of those matches and they very, very rarely happen. I'm not even sure I can remember the last time it happened where I'm literally stood up at moments. Put it this oh, way, right? Is it, like, is it like the time that you boys were playing FIFA and the game was so intense <laughs> that you had to stand up? Yeah, pretty much. I can't. Sometimes I can't contain that kind of uh, excitement. It was similar to, for example, this won't mean a lot to every many people, but as you both know, I'm a big fan of cycling. And this summer, Mark Cavendish managed to win four stages of the Tour de France. But the first one in particular was extremely emotional because he hadn't won one in five years. And he had to come back from basically it looked like he was going to retire last year. And he came out of nowhere to win um, this, this the first stage of the Tour de France. Whilst that was happening, I was literally stood up shouting at my screen. Come on, come on, fucking do it. Come on. Like I was just super intensely emotional about him winning it. And when he did, I just went mental. I just like jumping up and down all over the um, living room. It was kind of like that. I was kind of like in front of it, like, like seriously, kick out. Like you've got to kick out. Like, and I think it was weird. I was thinking about the show on Sunday before it happened, and I was thinking to myself, they have to lose this match. The Young Bucks have to lose mm. the titles here. They have been such dicks for such a long time. We know that Kenny Omega is not going to lose the main event, so they have to lose because if they don't it's just going to get like one of the big problems with the nwo for example was they just won all the time they just kept winning and i was just like they they really do need to lose this this match and so it was also in the back of my mind that 
like not only was it kind of an emotional thing because of the way they'd been acting in the in the weeks building up to this but also then the way that they told the story of penta standing in front of ray phoenix and kind of that the emotion of that that pulled you in but also that that booking kind of part of it was like if they make a mistake here and don't have penta and ray phoenix win that's a bad decision that's a really bad decision i was like they, to make this a perfect match they have to win so i was kind of in the midst of the match thinking this is so amazing but if they don't win it's gonna be all for naught it's just not gonna be yeah. the right it's just not gonna end the right way so the fact that they did was phenomenal and what they did brilliantly is they did that as you said old man they took it to that point where you're basically in despair the match is done they've done the the double knees and you're like oh it's over because we've seen that as well so many times on you know in their previous matches mm. and then for Ray Phoenix just to sort of reach out and push him off and as you say everyone just went mental and it was such a shock I think I'm, I'm I mean it's, it's early and I've only watched it once so it's it's, it's not I don't want to give a, an instant reaction in that respect but it's up there it's definitely up there with one of the best matches I've ever seen you said Tom that the young bucks weren't perhaps capable of this a few years ago I'm not sure that that's true but they didn't often do it they didn't often tell the stories they used to be quite often for example the, the matches I've seen them in were in New Japan where they're in opening junior heavyweight tag team matches with other teams that do yeah. similar things and so they weren't about the stories it was more just this what they were they were put on to do the flippy stuff basically here they told a phenomenal story incredibly emotional brilliantly done proper like dick heels that no matter how good they are you can't even bring yourself to want them to win or to cheer for them like to be that good and to be that hated is almost impossible in today's wrestling world it's it is really really hard to do i mean just see the reaction to for example Adam Cole, who's effectively been a heel for the best part of the last three or four years, but still gets a massive reaction. It's really hard to be that hated when you're that good. And they managed to do it. And it was, yeah, it was phenomenal. I was just blown away. I think, as I say, I'm tempted to say it's one of the best matches I've ever seen, too. Certainly the best tag match I've ever seen. Just a quick note. So you forgot to mention the Canadian Destroyer off the top rope. (laughs) Which is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen, because I don't know how... Uh, I believe it's uh, Penta does it on Nate Jackson. Don't know how he doesn't kill him. Still can't figure out. Because he, uh, old um, oh Excalibur says, he's like, oh, look at the impact. And you can hear it in his voice. He's like, oh, my God. He's like, he's killed him. No, he's fine. Absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. All right, don't worry about it, lads. When, when Canadian Destroyer off the top rope is not the talking point from a match, you know it's a good one. Yeah. So you've got that. And then old Raymond goes up the ramp. With um, the gentleman uh, who's with them, whose name I can't remember, uh, Alex Abrahantes, who's like the cheerleader, who does a phenomenal job on the outside, especially when there's the kick out that we talked about and getting the crowd going. But there's a lovely moment where Penta, who is bleeding like a stuck pig, yeah. to use the thing, and I'm assuming the reason that this happens is that his kids are upset. So they get his kids out of the crowd. He's like waving them down and they get them out and then they go back. It was just lovely. It's just really that kind of shit. I don't really go a lot for because I feel like it's a bit cheap sometimes when it's done poorly. It was beautifully done. Wonderful stuff. More of this, please. I've come. (laughs) (laughs) I thought Tom was going to say something as well. So I I was going to say, is that time for a break? So I need a quick piss. 
it, it is. Well, well, we'll take a break and we will come back in just a moment. Lovely I'm stuff. not going to go for a piss. I'm going to go for a wanker for that match. So I'll probably be about 15 to 20 seconds. Beautiful. <laughs> Four decades. Being universally known as the greatest of all time. Your career is absolutely unparalleled, Christopher. And whether I, your greatest critic, cares to admit it or not, you will be forever etched in the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling. But don't get it twisted, buddy. You need the spotlight. That's why you put your career on the line, Chris. Jericho putting his career on the line in the final fight. If you want Chris Jericho out of this ring, you're going to have to break every bone of my body. You're going to have to squeeze every breath out of my lungs. You don't have the balls to get rid of me. I'm going to have the distinct honor and privilege of ending one of the greatest runs in the history of professional wrestling. Same yearning of the spotlight that got you to the dance will be the same reason why your music dies. Okay, so welcome back. And the next match was the 21-woman Casino Battle Royal for a future women's title shot. Now, obviously, this was won by Ruby Soho. She last eliminated Thunder Rosa. And uh, this was an, I've not seen one of these Casino Battle Royals before. Um, I know that they are kind of, kind of a regular occurrence on the the AEW pay-per-views, but uh, I hadn't seen one. And it was an interesting concept. I quite, quite like the idea. It was a bit of a twist on the old Royal Rumble concept. I started listening to old, what are they calling him? The, the dick in the tie or whatever it was oh, they kept calling the, him. The, the, the dapper... Dapper... Ch- the dapper yapper. The dapper yapper. Yeah, that's yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, the old dick in the tie. I had Justin Roberts starting to um, explain the rules. And knowing that I wasn't going to know anybody that was in this, I was like, I can't be fucked this. So I, I must admit, I skipped this match. So I must, you know, putting it all out there, I didn't watch this. And so I didn't you... even actually see Ruby Soho's win, who I know who Ruby Soho is, obviously. Okay. Um, I was made aware that she, uh, she debuted. Um, and knowing that, I kind of wish I did watch it. Because what little I've seen of Ruby Riot, I quite enjoyed her in WWE so that might add a little bit more of that stardust you get I was sprinkling stardust then for the <laughs> listeners um to, great visual to the, yeah, for a podcast love it exactly um so that might hopefully make it a bit more uh, make make give the bit you know a bit more stardust a bit more star power to the women's division that being said that's all I've got to say about it you yeah I think I think it's the thing they need most though is is a little sprinkling of star power just to help the 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 depth of the women's roster because they just they need some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for the listeners, I started um I started doing the the sprinkling little motion with my hands and then I went upside down as if I was tickling a pair of imaginary testicles and that old man started violently flating an imaginary penis, <laughs> which is what broke that that segment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I wonder uh, if we're ever gonna grow up. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, if I do, what's the fucking point? Nah. What are you wondering what? that for now? It's a bit late for wondering that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whilst there's a break in the uh, chat, it's time for this week's Byron Faxton of the Week. So this is the first AEW slash all-in pre-AEW pay-per-view show that hasn't had the hangman Adam Page on. I'm in Faxton of the week. That's why I did that. And it's because he won the first ever Casino Battle Royale. Ah, 
Were they not? And you, Tinky, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Actually, old oh man, you might be able to as well. By all means, please do. You, you're more than capable. Were they not planning on originally having Kenny Omega versus or Hang Lad Page? Or it looked like they were gearing for that. So I understand that his, um, similar to you, Tom, his wife recently had a baby. And so he wanted to spend some time with his young family. And so you might be right. It might have been that they had originally um, been building to Kenny Omega versus Hangman Adam Page. He did lose a match or his him and the Dark Order lost the match on Dynamite about two months ago, which effectively removed his opportunity to take on Kenny Omega for the title. Um, so potentially uh that was what that was about and maybe you're right maybe he was originally scheduled to face omega here so you could say that he's the hung man adam page with that big old johnson getting his wife pregnant (laughs) and interestingly he only became a full-time wrestler in 2016 he was a high school teacher for five years whilst wrestling that's good shit but this format that they have so as i said uh myself and friend of the show like watched double or nothing it was the show that uh, old Jonathan Moxley debuted at the end. But they did this and it was crap. It just didn't work. Just didn't work. Like They hadn't got the, the format down from memory. They sent all five people down at the same time without little entrances, which really took away. And there's a lot of people I didn't know. So I was like, who's this cunt? Chris Jarrett. No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, they've. I think it's probably the third one they've done. And I think I've seen the other one that they did at Double or Nothing. And they've really got this down. They've got it really well done, I thought. I thought this was a really decent effort, considering, much like Tom, I have heard... So I've got a list of people in front of me. So I've heard of Hikaru Shida, Emi Sakura, uh, Nyla Rose, Thunder Rosa, Rio, Jamie Hayter, Big Swole, Tay Conti, Red Velvet, Rebel... Yeah, yeah, delicious. And Ruby Soho. I'd only heard of those people, but like that Abaddon, mm. like an absolute psychopath, gone too, gone too soon. Yeah, way Great too ma- soon. So much makeup on. She's got this incredible like zombie makeup on. Oh, did she come in like right at the beginning? It was yeah. The first. Yeah, yeah. She really stuck it, stood out to me for the second that I saw her. Yeah, incredible. And then they bombed her out immediately, literally within. Oh, 40 seconds at the start and I was like oh come on lads but they've um they've got a nice little dynamic with all these people because the threat the major threat is always Nyla Rose because she's the biggest lady she's the strongest lady and she's kind of built that way so it all becomes about getting her out right, and this match it did kind of like when they'd have a, a Royal Rumble with either the Big Show or Kane in it becomes about getting those people out. And I think because of that, it kind of worked really well because it was, it was pretty obvious that Ruby Soho was going to win once she came out. And she gets a cracking ovation and looks taken aback by it, to be honest. And I was surprised. I would have given her a good cheer, but they go bloody nuts for her, the Chicago crowd, all bloody gacked up, probably. But yeah, I thought uh, I thought this was really, really well put together. I did think that the end section with Ruby Soho and Thunder Rosa was incredibly clunky, but they they got away with it because of the 15, 20 minutes that had passed before. But yeah, a good effort, and some people I wouldn't mind seeing again. So like that Jamie Hayter that I mentioned, Layla Hirsch, I enjoyed her. Um, Penelope Ford, no idea who she is, incredibly over. 
The crowd absolutely loved her. And she just did a little dance around the ring at one point. And I just thought, that's, that's great stuff. Kira Hogan, don't know who she is. Is she related to Hulk? And I quite enjoyed the bunny person and obviously Abaddon. Her wife was called Abandon when she came out. And I was like, that's a <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when I saw Ab- Abaddon, I was like, what the hell's this? This is incredible. Yeah. That, that makeup was just... Wow, I, re- I was like really, t- I was quite scared. I really was quite scared. But I was like, yeah. this is how you do the Bray Wyatt type thing. This is how yes. you do it. You don't ever do magic. You just make him look fucking scary as fuck. Mm. And it was, it was properly like, yeah, really made an impression on me. The one weakness of this match, I think, was that because you've got the the clubs, diamonds, hearts, and spades, and then the Joker, you kind of have to, if you're going to have a surprise entrant, make them the Joker. So they've got to be the last one out because none of the others are coming out on their own. And also, I felt like whilst I have been a big advocate for them signing some of these released WWE women, the Iconics should also be following Ruby Ruby Soho in, in my opinion. I don't necessarily think she should have won this match. But having come out last, she couldn't very well not win because it would Mm. look it would make her look a little bit weak coming out the coming out the gate. So. I felt like they put themselves into a bit of a corner. What I thought they were going to go with was Jade Cargill winning because they've been bigging her up really a lot recently on their weekly shows. And she is basically this incredible muscle, incredibly looking like physically muscle woman who has basically squashed everyone who's coming, coming away over the last um, since she's debuted. I thought that's where they were going to go. She got eliminated. And then what was left was, First of all, um, Thunder Rosa and then also Nyla Rose. And both of those have already faced Britt Baker. So I was thinking, well, they probably are. You know, it's obvious that they're going for Ruby Soho now because that's a fresh, fresh opponent for Britt Baker. But again, this is my issue with the women's division. It's not quite deep enough for them to come up with kind of new matchups and whatnot. One thing that does appear did seem to um, sort of materialize was when Jade Cargill was was eliminated. She was eliminated by Nyla Rose so you've got the two biggest women potentially on a course for some kind of match or feud in the coming weeks so that be something to look forward to but yeah you're right Ruby Soho massively over and a, and a really as I said a really important addition to the to the roster of women's talent so next up is Chris Jericho versus MJF if Chris Jericho had lost he would have to retire from in-ring competition although I to think they were a little bit unclear on the stipulation yes because they, they kept were. saying about he won't be able to wrestle in AEW again then other times they were saying he'd have to retire from in ring competition completely i wondered if that was just a way for them to maybe change the finish if they really wanted to i, I don't know anyway one by submission with chris jericho one by submission with the walls of jericho um no, he didn't he won it with a boston crab sorry <laughs> i apologize you are right it was a little different from the walls of jericho in fairness you know what that Boston Crab would have had Rick Martel spinning in his grave if he was dead. He's no Rick Martel. I tell you what, he tried at one point to transition into yes, the regular did. Walls of Jericho and didn't manage it, which was mm. perhaps a little sign that maybe, again, maybe fed into this pre-match stipulation that they were considering maybe having him lose. I don't know. But I wonder, I wonder if I wonder how much of that is on. So I, I've never I've seen MJF do promos before. Obviously, as I said, I've been watching some of this. What were they calling it? The list of Jericho. It wasn't the list of Jericho. What was it the the five the, labors of Jericho. The labors, yeah. the labors of Jericho. So I've only seen MJF on the stick and heard him in the commentary brief and Every time I've seen him, he's been absolutely tremendous. Based on this match, I'm not sure 
how much of a hand he is in the ring. I think he's fine. I think he, he was perfectly good. But for me, and again, I'm happy to be proven wrong in here, but from what I, what little I've seen of him, he seems a little bit maybe in Miz territory, but probably a little bit better in that in that he is an incredible, very good at doing his character, but his, his ability to, to kind of to reach the heights of his character work in ring isn't quite the same. Is that a fair mm. assumption? I think it probably is, although I guess you could argue that he's also very young. Like he's really very young. He's got a long he's probably not reached the peak yet of his performance. Yeah. He's not had the experience that some people have had. And I guess also like unlike he, if he was in WWE, which he probably would make in WWE, he's probably the one guy in of the young talent that WWE've got that would probably have a really good shot of making it in WWE. But unlike in WWE, he's got the freedom on the mic to do and say what he wants to say so ultimately that personality probably could carry him through even if he doesn't become a better wrestler i read somewhere that he kind of stays in character pretty much the entire time as well and that he's like really and he is part of his character that he really doesn't like kids so when he does like autograph signings he's really rude to them (laughs) 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 so things are amazing i'll tell you what he'd have hated ricky steamboat and his bring your kid to work he would have have done he would have done that fucking prick but i um i I quite enjoyed this match i I was impressed by chris despite that you point that out when he tried to do the the Wars of Jericho or the Lion Team, and it didn't quite, it didn't, he couldn't do it. And I wonder how much of that is due to him or maybe the in-ring performer. I don't know, because I imagine you have to have some pretty impressive core strength to be able to help the person who's applying the move to be able to do that as well, as well as the person who is actually applying the move. But I was pleasantly surprised by Jericho in the ring. I've seen a couple of um, his matches in AEW, as I said, I've quite enjoyed those ones in, in the, 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 the labor of Jericho. And, yeah, I thought it was quite good. I think he's maybe wrestling in it within himself a little bit more these days and not trying to go too fast paced. And I was still really quite impressed by his his lion salt in this as well, because I've seen footage of him doing it recently and he hasn't been able to do it properly or hasn't quite connected as cleanly. But he it looked quite good when he hit that in the match. I quite like the Judas elbow. It's just quite a nice change. But one thing that I did find really strange in the match is that at one point, um, Jericho comes off the top rope and MJF hits him with the code breaker, which the commentary team didn't acknowledge as being a code breaker, which I thought was a bit weird. But it, it, it was a good match. And as I said, I, I was quite impressed by, by Jericho. I think MJF, you're probably right, think he's, he's got more to come. But based on his character work alone, he'll be fine and he'll only get better as time goes on. I was a bit weird on this one because I watched it and I was like, you know what? That was all right, Pat. And then later on in the day, I had a little look at the um, Wikipedia page. So I was just intrigued to know how long the matches were. And this was 19 and a half minutes. Mm. And I was like, bloody heck, that was actually a very, very good way to spend 19 and a half minutes because it whipped by. I thought this was, to your point, Tommy, you actually put it better than I was going to. Jericho is, I think he's aware of the fact that he's 50 which I very much appreciate because I think he is, and this might, like, you obviously don't know what's going on. He might be given a bit more freedom to tell a story in matches than he was in his latter runs in WWE that he's been quite critical of. But I think they just told a good story. It's clearly two guys that have wrestled a lot, like a heck of a lot, and by all accounts have had better matches. But I thought this was really very good. And I actually popped for the end when MJF tapped out, which caught me off guard. 
completely. And also on my strokes, I was having a wank at the time and it really sent me off now to start again. But yeah, I thought, you know what? A 50-year-old man leading what is a 25-year-old man through arguably the biggest match of his career on AEW's biggest show of all time. I thought, you know what? Fair facts. I agree. I, I was very positive about this. And to your point, old man, I did not know that it was 19 and a half minutes until no. I looked at the Wikipedia page and I was like, fair play. Like That did not feel like 19 and a half minutes. Imagine that in WWF. Like we have reviewed some of the matches from, say, you know, 2016 bloody backlash or whatever it was. And the, the one that stands out is Dean Ambrose versus Chris Jericho, which was a similar amount of time. And it just felt like an absolute chore to get through. So, you know, the fact that this was this good was really quite a surprise. And, yeah, I, I didn't have any problem with it in terms of what it was as a match. I just felt like AW changed course halfway through this storyline because they had the five labors of Jericho. And I was certain that the idea was going to be you have five labors of Jericho in order to get your match with MJF. Yeah. But the fifth labor was MJF. It should have oh. been. Yeah, that was the weird thing. So you had in the first match at Sean Spears, then you had uh, Nick Gage and Juventus Guerrero, then Wardlow and then MJF. And they had their match on Dynamite. And I thought that doesn't make any sense. You're surely you're supposed to have the five labors in order to get your match with MJF. But then because they had the fifth match and MJF was it and he won by submission. That's how they then added the Jericho thing with him the stipulation where he would if he lost he would have to retire or whatever whatever the stipulation is supposed to be because they they'd given away the match and so they had to add an, an additional kind of it's, to up the stakes if they had a screwy finish then that would make sense do you know what I mean like if they had like a a dodgy finish where i don't know like mjf so like one of his gang came down and beat him up and then threw him back in the ring and then he won or they missed the, the foot on the rope kind of thing and that happened which happened in this match where mm. the match was ended and restarted like if they had done that and then they like the higher ups at AEW could have said no this is what we're having you're having your rematch at that pay-per-view that would have made more sense but to lose by a submission seems a bit weird and I just thought like it made more sense for him to go through the five labors of Jericho get the match on the pay-per-view not add the stipulation Jericho would have had to retire if he lost but lose the match to MJF by submission there that would have made a lot more sense to me I don't really know why the only thing I can imagine is that they thought once they'd got Punk signed up and they knew his match was going to be on the show they felt that was enough to carry the sell for this show in into this pay-per-view they were like people will watch this now just because Punk's on it so we can give away a couple of these matches ahead of the pay-per-view and pop some ratings in the meantime and that match between Jericho and MGF actually happened two days before Punk's debut so I wonder whether it was all part of kind of that general kind of well, we've got we've got Punk coming in we don't need this to be quite as strong a proposition as it would be if we didn't have the match a few weeks beforehand and we can get a bit get people interested in the product two days ahead of punk's arrival it i wonder if that was part of it, it but it did feel strange and that's why i said in the build they kind of got there two weeks earlier than they were supposed to and and by this point the match wasn't quite as much of a draw for me as it had been i had zero interest in this match which is why i was pleasantly surprised mm. i also um what you mentioned in the uh, little pre-match build that they on the screen it's Chris Jericho can never wrestle again but they kept saying AEW and the yeah. whole build had been AEW mm. and I I found that very odd because it also to me kind of 
signposted the finish, even with the, um, like Tommy alluded to, the leg on the rope, it was like, well, this is a way for them to get out of it. What I really liked about it, though, is that there was a reason for the referee to be, for an extra referee to be down there, because um, Chris Jericho, or not Chris Jericho, MJF's gang, what are they called? What's their group called? Pinnacle, is it? Yes, the Pinnacle. Yeah, so a couple of members of that come down and cause a distraction or something like that. Referees come down, and then there's a reason for the other referee to be there to point out to, I think it's Aubrey Edwards, is it, the referee? Yeah. Uh, It's pointed out to her that that had happened, and I thought that was just a nice touch because why would a referee come down to to specifically overrule another referee because you'd have to do that all the time and it would limit your booking to actually have the referee down at ringside for a reason made a lot of sense and i thought that was a really clever bit of booking for this match as well i'll tell you what i liked about that as well is that when jericho puts his foot on the rope, he instead of doing what they always do which is get up and get in the referee's face and be like i have my foot on the rope," he just led there and it was a little bit like, right, even if he gets out of this, he might still be fucked. And I just thought it was good. They just, yeah, they told a good story. I think if they hadn't done what they've done before, it would have been incredible. I think yeah. I think it would have taken it to the next level. It would have been, because I don't think the crowd bought the end, because I think they thought they were getting kind of screwed a little as well. So they were quite quiet when there was the three. They enjoyed it, obviously, when Jericho won. But... Yeah, a little missed opportunity. I think I think you you summed it up very well, Tinky. Whereas like if they hadn't had that match on Dynamite, they would have had gold. Yeah, I think it, it just it just took away a little bit. It took away from the build ultimately, and therefore mm. the the match wasn't quite what it could have been. Um, but yeah, I do agree. I thought it was a I thought it was good, and I think I do give Chris Jericho a lot of credit because you know, I, and I have to because I've been very. Um, critical of Jericho in the past but I think this was a good match I think he did really well I think MJF contributed and I think that this was far better than I imagined it would be so credit to them one thing I will say I was also glad that they had the I I mean you're right absolutely right the booking that's perfect booking where you give the reason for the referee to be there so you basically what you're actually doing is giving a reason why this is the exception why there is another referee and they can make the exception, which is overturn the decision. Because otherwise, as you say, they should do it every time. If someone's just going to come down, they should just do it every time. But you're right. To give them the reason to be at ringside gives them the reason to overall the decision, which is perfect. But I like the fact that also those two were involved because this feud really began when Jericho, when, sorry, when MJF left the inner circle or was kicked out of the inner circle when Jericho found out that he'd been plotting against them and that then he'd and then the pinnacle had had surprised the inner circle and attacked them and and they'd come out of nowhere become a become a faction and so to not to not have them involved at all would have been would have been wrong especially as two of the other matches they had in the build-up to this were were the matches where it was the it was the pinnacle against the inner circle in sort of 10-man matches one was like a war game style match and the other one was the stadium thing that yeah that the last pay-per-view so they had to be involved in some way and that's why i liked at the end the inner circle coming down to mm. to join the celebration of jericho just a quick note on wardlow is that the worst name in wrestling well it's mainly because he's about he's a he's a a jumble of letters away from being the household name warlord isn't he so well, exactly well i remember when we were doing the game and i got confused i got excited <laughs> didn't i because i thought he was there um can i just quickly talk about something now the the, the entrance to this was a bit weird because 
this might send daft, but you know me, you lads. I'm all about the fucking bullshit that comes with wrestling. I, I'm all about the entrances. Basically, that's my high point. <laughs> and Chris Jericho's entrance is amazing. Is. That song. Like, I'm glad, I'm so glad that he's a babyface because it would have really fucking boiled my piss if he was having that adoration for his entrance music when he was a heel, which I'm imagining probably did happen a little bit now. So I'm glad I've kind of, you know, he's a babyface and, and that he's having that reaction. Whilst I quite liked the fact that they had the guitarist from Fozzie out playing the song and just doing like a, you know, a, a Jimi Hendrix playing the national anthem at, at Woodstock kind of rendition of it. And whilst the crowd were singing along to it, I thought that that was lacking a little bit from that match because that's always my favourite bit about Jericho matches these days. And on another thing, I wanted to quickly touch on the production value as well. There's a couple of things about it that I really liked. For example, I really liked the pre-match kind of like stills of it. I thought it looked really cool, like really different, almost like a, there was obviously like a, a theme that they clearly used for, for the those pictures. And I thought it was really good. And there was also in between the matches, there was like, music in the background and when justin roberts was announcing what the next match was going to be you could hear it in the background and i quite like that actually just a little background music just kind of keeping things kind of ticking over it was it's an interesting production choice but it just makes it different to what we're used to and i think that's probably the biggest for me the biggest selling point in AEW is that it's very good wrestling and from what i've seen so far well stories that are generally well told but they also offer something a little bit different as well and that along with the 2021 record with the time limit given to matches just those little touches make it feel different and a little and like a different product to what we as wwe fans are programmed to seeing and i really like that aspect about the company i'm glad you mentioned the entrances because i loved the start of mjf's where they do the countdown, and then it comes up and it spins like it used to in WWE, and it says Jericho, it says Jericho's last match ever. Yeah. I thought, ah, oh, it's lovely. Because when they did the countdown, I was like, I hope this is MJF, yeah. thinking that it wouldn't be. And then when it was, I was like, mwah, lovely old job. <laughs> All England. I agree with you about the Jericho entrance as well, because it is phenomenal, like to the point where like I remember when I first saw it, it was when there wasn't a crowd. And so they had probably some of the like younger wrestlers around the ring, but it wasn't it wasn't a crowd. Mm. And I found it a little bit crap, to be honest. I was like, oh, God, this is really embarrassing. Like there's these people that are part of a company effectively putting on that they love Chris Jericho by singing this song along. But the minute the crowds came back. It was like, wow, this is this is a moment every time he comes out yeah. to the ring. And that's what I, I didn't bring up the when we had the bonus episode, actually, was the, the, the match where he faces MJF on Dynamite. Uh, the stipulation of the match was that Jericho couldn't use the Judas elbow and he couldn't come down to the Judas song that they, he comes down to. Oh, yeah. So when he came out, the fans just sang it from the beginning. No music. He just came out silently and the fans sang it. And it was tremendous spine. It was proper like chills time. And I I meant to mention it the last time we spoke about AEW simply because I was like in the space of a week, they had that Jericho moment and then the punk entrance. And I was like, I've said before, I talked about ECW. For me, the key to making a really hot, exciting product is making people want to be in the crowd. And both of those moments, I, was like, I, w- I would want to have been at both of those places because it just it was just amazing. So actually, having had that entrance before without the music, which worked really well, 
here having the guitar actually felt such a, a letdown in comparison that it was a again just another reason why probably they shouldn't have had the fifth labor of jericho be against mjf it should have just been that match but on this pay-per-view yeah i wanted to be there and i did think to myself as soon as they announce a uk tour <laughs> the amount of fawning over these lads they should be giving us fucking comps yeah. <laughs> the problem is everybody else is as well, so they've been giving comps to everybody. Yeah, but, yeah, they, but yeah, they, they're, they're not they're not so fucking they're not locked in WWE guys like we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's move on to the CM Punk match, shall we? So CM Punk faced Darby Allen in our next match. It ended up being just under seventeen minutes and CM Punk won after the go to sleep. Tom. It was alright. I, I must admit I felt a little bit a little bit let down by it. And I think, to be perfectly honest, I think a lot of people probably will have because the expectations for a CM... Unless you manage to temper your expectations, the expectations for a CM, CM Punk match would have been extremely high after seven years out. I did think there were some issues, though. So we said in the bonus spot a couple of weeks ago, I, I posed a question as to whether or not Darby Allen was the was the right opponent for CM Punk, simply because I didn't know much about Darby Allen as, as, as a wrestler. And coming out of the back of that, I still don't. The match is kind of basically CM Punk largely beating up Darby Allen with a few bits of Darby Allen offense in there. And in a match that CM Punk's return to wrestling in his hometown, you always know he's going to win. It's it's going to happen. We know he's going to win. But at no point during the match did I ever think that Darby Allen is going to win. And I just want to believe it just for a minute that, that something's going to happen. I think they, they've made a little bit of a mistake in not kind of leaning into a ring rust kind of storyline in it. In that CM Punk would maybe underestimate Darby Allen. And maybe overestimate his own abilities, having been away from in-ring competition for so long. And I don't think they kind of lent into that at all, really, which would have made the match a little bit more competitive. Whereas what it kind of felt like to me, calling it a squash is is a is is, is not fair because it wasn't a squash because Darby Allen did get some get some offense in, but I just didn't think there was there was never anything that made me feel particularly invested in the match. If I'm being honest, um, the crowd are great, but there's a couple of bits where CM Punk's kind of like playing up to the crowd a little bit and playing up to the match that that I that I didn't particularly didn't particularly care for, and I just didn't it didn't really do much for me. It was a fine match, it was it was it was all right, but I was expecting a little bit more of it if I'm being honest. And as I as I said, I don't know what Darby Allen gets out of this because he has just lost pretty comprehensively to someone who's not been wrestling for for seven years regardless as to his status within the wrestling profession he's just lost to someone who's not been around for seven years and he didn't come out of it looking particularly strong so it could have really been anyone i think in the context of in the context of that match you know what with um it being like the 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 match with jericho and and mjf happening on dynamite as you said it would have probably been better served having him in it because then at least it would have been a heel. You know what I mean? And the heel would have lost and a baby face would have lost. And maybe uh, I don't think Darby Allen's coming out of this. I'm not, I'm not articulating this very well. I don't think Darby Allen's coming out of this worse off, but I don't think he's gained anything having come up the back of this match. And that was my kind of, that's my kind of thoughts on it. It, it was all right, but I, just, I didn't love it. I weirdly, I do actually agree with nearly everything you said. I just have a yeah. slight twist. I just have a slight twist on some of those things. So I wasn't expecting an awful lot from this match. 
And I don't know if that was me calming myself down or just realizing really what is CM Punk. He isn't a spectacular aerials guy. He's not Daniel Bryan. He doesn't do amazing strikes. You know, he's not that guy either. What what CM Punk is is a storyteller. And he's a storyteller who's been away for seven years, so he might be a bit ring rusty anyway. And I just wasn't expecting that much from it. So what I actually got from it was it was pretty decent. But I do agree with you on the sense that they didn't lean enough into CM Punk's not wrestling for very long. But I didn't think that he should be he should take Darby Allen lightly. I felt like they should just actually have it so that the story was that Punk genuinely was ring rusty and was himself almost a little bit tentative because of that that fact so they started to sh- and actually if you look at the match they start really slowly and they ease punk into it you can tell they're not they don't want to go too fast too soon they're going to take their time let him warm up see if see how he feels in there just give him the chance to do it and they ramped up towards the end and i felt that they did deliver but i felt like they could have used that as part of the story they could almost have the commentator saying that you can see cm punk's a little bit tentative to 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 get into a, a, a you know a tie-up with him because he, he's not done it for ages they had the bit at the start where Punk did the Bret Hart bit. Know if you notice that, where basically Darby Allen kind of came out on top of a little exchange, and then CM Punk fell to the floor and did the did the kind of oh that was that was a surprise, just in the exact same way as Bret did against the one two three kid. Someone even thing. well, someone even put the two videos next to one another on Twitter. I saw, and they're basically exactly the same, frame <laughs> for frame. It's crazy. And I just thought they could have really sort of played on that somehow had even in the early going had punk do something wrong make a mistake maybe and you know maybe even fall to a move that they'd established with darby allen some kind of submission move where he shouldn't have been able to get him in the move that early but did because you know punk made a made made an early mistake or something just to sort of set the idea that this isn't the CM Punk from seven years ago and it's going to take him some time to get to that level because just like it would in a normal sport you wouldn't just instantly come back at the top of your game it just wouldn't happen no I, I think his ego is not going to allow that to happen though unfortunately well maybe maybe and, I, and as I said for me the problem with the build was they didn't do anything to talk about Punk worrying about being able to win it was all about worrying about being able to perform and I don't I just don't agree with that and I think this might be the one the biggest weakness that Punk has got is that everyone heralds the biggest thing he's ever done, supposedly, or one of the most famous things he's ever done is the pipe bomb, right? But the pipe bomb promo was so insider and it was so not about winning matches and losing matches. It was about the insider stuff and referencing what's going on in the business. Very, very popular to lots and lots of fans. I remember us all kind of going mad for it at the time. But looking back for me, it didn't do much for anybody else, really. Like it did establish him as really interesting to a core audience. But in terms of the rating, the buy rate for the pay-per-view, the money in the bank pay-per-view, that didn't do very well but from a business perspective. It really didn't. The following SummerSlam match, the yeah, other John Cena didn't do particularly well either, which was the rematch. It wasn't it didn't pop any kind of business it because it wasn't about what most people understand wrestling to be about, which is two people wrestling to win a match. And so I think for me it's a weakness in his armor and it's something that i don't think he cares too much about but i think it it affected my excitement for the match because again he didn't big up the idea that he could win the match or you know or he was worried that he might lose the match or whatever so for me that was the one thing i didn't like about and i and so i agree with you in that respect tom they could have leaned more into that sense that you might be ring rusty or been worried about being it 
And that would have led to your maybe for a moment thinking that Darby Allen might win. On the Darby Allen thing, so I, what it does for him, I agree it doesn't do anything for him. I think even it slightly does take away from the stuff they've been building with him for a while. Um, because I did think he wasn't competitive enough. He did. It was too decisive a victory for me for CM Punk. I don't think it's something that's not recoverable, though. It's perfectly recoverable. It won't. T- it shouldn't take them too long. A couple of recovery victories over the next few weeks on uh, on Dynamite and on Rampage, and it'll be fine. But it should have been a chance for them to advance the aura around Darby Allen, and it didn't do that. So I do agree with that as well, Tom. Do you know what I th- my problem with this was? This felt like a man having the time of his life. And this is basically echoing what you boys have just said. He was not worried about fighting this guy in Darby Allen. Wasn't concerned at all. And I just thought it was this kind of a broader thing that I've been thinking about with CM Punk. So he came back, Rampage. We covered it in the bonus episode, if people want to listen to it. It's in the archives. And uh, I went nuts for the first four minutes, as I mentioned earlier on. The walk down to the ring. You know, does his promo. Done. Lovely old job. Glad that's out of the way. It was good. He's then on Dynamite the following Wednesday. He's doing an in-ring interview with Tony Schiavone. And some awful lavender trousers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, which he really took against. But uh, <laughs> he um, does the promo. Kind of talks about his match with Darby Allen. Kind of. A little. Dances around it a bit. He finished the promo. And then Shivoni is, something happens. I think Punk does his little pose in the ring. Shivoni's outside the ring. And then Punk stops and has a nice little chat with Tony Shivoni outside the ring. And they're laughing and they're having a great time. And I was a little bit like, oh, is this what this is? Is this a man coming back and doing what he wants? And not, oh, I don't want to say this phrase because it's not like a right cunt, but not actually like protecting what the product should be in that it should effectively be a drama there should be some intrigue about the thing that's going to happen the fight that's going to happen and i felt like they tried to get that back a little bit on the following weeks uh rampage dynamite and then the rampage where i think it's the last two episodes punk kind of saves darby allen from a beatdown twice but they still don't do anything they don't front up to each other they don't face off so there was effectively no reason for this match to happen other than a man wants to fight someone that he quite likes because he was the kind of wrestler that he would have supported when he was young which is all right but it's pretty flimsy i think ultimately they just decided look this is cm punk's return match after seven years that will do i think that's just what they decided Mm. yeah and i think for, I understand why they did that, and I'm hoping that's why they did it because that what should mean mm. that we get back to the meat, you know, the bread bread and water of what we're talking about here, which is you know what he's there to do and win matches yeah. and whatnot and and be competitive. But I think it could have been much better if they just incorporated a yeah. very small thing. Didn't yeah. have to be a personal issue between the two of them. Just can CM Punk still compete at this level? That's all they had to do. And it would have become, there'd have been an angle in the match that you could have played on then, and it just didn't have it. So there's two bits in particular in the, well, one in the match and one after the match. So there's a bit where Darby Allen goes to hit the coffin drop, and CM Punk sits up and then laughs. And the commentators play up, they're like, oh, it's the old experience head, because they mentioned early in the match that CM Punk's last match was seven years ago. Darby Allen's first match was 13 months 
after CM Punk's last match. So they're playing on that. But the effect that laughing at someone trying to hit their finisher on you and you sitting up to get out of the way, I was a little bit like, oh, I didn't like where it went. And then it's effectively like Darby Allen does a dive through the ropes, which admittedly does look like it fucking kills Punk. It just wasn't very good. And then there's, just before you come in, Tommy, there's the bit at the end where Sting comes down and they shake hands. And I'm like, why is Sting there? Doesn't make any sense. And then Darby Allen gets up with a little bit of help from Sting and then shakes Punk's hand. Now, I just feel like take Sting out of that and you've got a totally different moment where it's a man getting up in Darby Allen kind of appreciating the fact that he's been done by an old hand. They have a handshake and then they fuck off and get on with their lives. And that's what I'm hoping they do. But that thing with Sting made me think, oh, I don't think we're done here. I don't I don't think that's going to be a thing. I honestly do think we're done. I, I think if we weren't done, they wouldn't have shaken hands. Yeah. I think there would have been a bit more of a afters, maybe a stare down, whatever. Or Punk would have refused to shake his hand or whatever. But I agree. To be honest, it just made him look like a little boy. Because yeah. you had Sting. Your dad comes, comes out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. His dad, basically, his dad comes out and says, Yeah, thanks for the match. Tries to lift his son up. He won't have it. He's a, he's a tiny little bit of a tantrum because he, he don't want to help. Don't want the help getting up. And then shakes CM Punk's hand and he, he kind of gives, Sting gives him a little hug. And I was just like, That doesn't look make him look good at all. So I didn't I didn't appreciate that bit either. Maybe it could lead to a bit of dissension between Sting and Darby Allen. Perhaps maybe be interesting. Um, yeah. the just on, two little things there on that suicide dive that Darby Allen does, it is fucking amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. He goes in short. Everyone else when they do it, they do a jumping push, don't they? But including all little Moxley, this little jumping push when he was Dean Ambrose, I hated it. But he fucking kills people with it. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And on Sting, I'm pretty sure. That when he came down to the ring, old man, he said. You just reminded me of something. Something really weird. That weirded me out and then I completely forgot about it. Darby Allen's opening video before he comes down is someone being put in a body bag that's meant to be CM Punk and they've flown off into a helicopter. Don't get it. Fine. Mm. And then Darby Allen jumps into the water. So <laughs> what was he doing that for? Yeah, I didn't what? get that. What I would have preferred, what I thought would have been really cool, and I actually quite like his entrance anyway, and I like the fact that Sting comes out and fucks off. What I thought they they were going to do was they were going to show him uh, like close-ups maybe of a body bag being prepared, then the spray paint going onto it, and it's zooming out, and it's saying the best in the world, and then it cutting, and him bringing the body bag out. Mm. That would have been really cool. Didn't do that. It's uh, yeah, completely pointless. No, no point behind it at all. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand that at all. I mean, look, I didn't think it was a bad match. I thought it was a good match. Actually, I thought it was as good as Jericho versus MJF, and I thought it was as good as the opener, and I thought it was as good as the women's title match. But I, I thought there were flaws, and I think it could have been yeah. better. I was really very impressed by how good Punk was actually in the match. Yeah. Um, especially you know, seven years out—that's a long time. And interestingly, I think after the match, there was a moments few moments after the match where punk himself looked almost relieved that he could still go that he could he, he, he wasn't completely like he'd completely forgotten how to do it so i, I do think he it was a good performance i just think they could have gone bigger and better by having a darby allen be more competitive in the match and b just telling that story about can punk still compete against someone this good 
because that's what you're trying to make out is that this guy's really good. So so go there. I mean, in fairness, he did throw a punch, I think, in the first couple of minutes, Punk, and the crowd are like, you've still got it. <laughs> um, can I have the last word on the match? Yeah. Go on, get in there, lad. Punk shouldn't be wearing long tights. <laughs> Thank God you for that. I was going to bring it up, and then when you were like, can I have the last word? Weird, because it makes him look like a really old man mm. in the way that, and I know this from seeing myself in the mirror when I walk around in pants. I look 10 years younger in pants. <laughs> so you look about 80 then. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think in summary, all fart, no shit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. I would, I would say there was, there was shit here. It just was not particularly for, <laughs> um, if there was, there was shit, there was shit there. The wiping was quite an unpleasant experience. <laughs> it required one of those nice new towelettes that you get. I tell, you, I tell you what, right? So that fucking tag match was a ghost. You know what I mean? When you, ha- when you have a massive shit and you do one wipe and, and there's nothing there and it's a clean break. You know what I mean? That that was what that was. This one, a little bit of cleanup. You could have done with a B-Day, you know what I mean? Or one of those like shower poo bum guns that you get in like Asia where you just like spray your out. You could have done with like a bit more... I- bit more assistance when when cleaning up down there i think we've just revolutionized the star rating system guys yeah. <laughs> and the it's white so system process could be the starfish rating system <laughs> well we 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 like bristol is famous for the bristol stool chart yeah. so you know maybe you know we're, we're i tell you what i bet you fucking Meltzer will get involved in this oh, <laughs> six wipes from tokyo <laughs> <day>. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, the, the the less wipes is good. That's oh, the thing. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that, that fucking that Kane versus Big Show match from 2018 was 15 wipes in the Tokyo Dome. It's an absolute <laughs> mess. <laughs> 15 wipes in a trip home straight away to shower. That's what no, that no, is. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's 15 wipes. And in the Tokyo Dome is obviously where the best wrestling happens. So it's like 15 wipes in Butlins. <laughs> I'll tell you what that would be Kane and Big Show in 2018 so I went to a music festival the other week <laughs> someone called Bloodstock and I, when, we, when we met mate Alex and uh, we were walking to the little arena bit and we walked past the toilets and they'd just been cleaned he was like I'm going to take advantage of this he had a small amount of toilet paper so when he came out he was like I have to go back to the tent and we went, oh yeah cool and then went into detail about how big the shit was so this man for the listener Six foot six. He said it was as big as before in terms of length, <laughs> not girth, thankfully. But then he went, but well, I did do this, held up his hand. He had shit all over his hand. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that is Kane Big Show 2018. Well, that is the perfect lead in to, I'm sure, the match that everybody was most looking forward to, which is uh, Paul Wiggett against QT Marshall. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't know what fuck is spelling of white is all about, but it's it's like the Isle of White, isn't it? That's how the Isle yeah. of White. Is. Oh. Well, he he is uh, a big man. That's true. That's true. Maybe they should have just called him the Isle of White. Right? That would be amazing. <laughs> that would be so amazing. The Isle of White. That would be phenomenal. Do Do you reckon he calls his head white the Pile of White? <laughs> Can you imagine the fucking shit he does? Jesus. Can you imagine the size of the big shoes hemorrhoids? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking snooker balls. (laughs) 
It would be like he had the Mitchell brothers poking out his <laughs> asshole. <laughs> what, and Peggy's the bollock? Grant! <laughs> <laughs> Phil, what are you doing here? Hi, Mum. Amazing. Right, let's let's get to it. So it's <laughs> only a three-minute match here. Paul White defeats QT Marshall, as you might imagine. We get some interference. We get a load of other stuff. Um, Paul White wins with the uh, choke slam, I believe. So yeah, um, old man, I know you in particular were most excited about this. So um, why don't you <laughs> go into what you thought? This is tough because I uh, uh, you you, I wouldn't spend too long on this, old man. It's not that important. No, it's because <laughs> when Paul Wigger signed for AEW, we posted on our Instagram mm-hmm. a little message exchange that the three of us had had where we were questioning the value that he adds. And he walked down to the ring, right? I must say, he's in great shape. He's a 48-year-old man. Seven foot. He's not seven foot two anymore, which was a surprise. 400 pounds, by all accounts, in good shape. Fair facts to him. Because the outfit that he's wearing, he'd have to be in good shape. But uh, he's walking like a man who shouldn't be in a wrestling ring, which Mm. was a bit troubling because he was... I was trying to think who he was walking like, but I can't think of anyone. But he was walking with difficulty, and I was a bit like, oh, this is going to be exactly what I think it is. This could be a Paul Wigger match when he was the big show from, what, we said it, 2018. To be honest, 2015, because it's about as good as he can be and has been able to be. And that's not necessarily a slight on him. Like I say, he's a 48-year-old man who's got gigantism. By his own admission, he's lucky to be alive, let alone wrestling, in inverted commas. But I did not get this really at all. And I don't know, I don't really know who QT Marshall is. The only thing I know about him is that he was having a go at Tony Schiavone for calling him QT Marshall, which I loved. And then they beat up Tony Schiavone's son. But all I could think was, why did Paul Wigger want to do this? So, oh man, I will read out the conversation that we had, uh, that we put oh, on here Instagram. We go, so your initial post was, big show, question mark. Few things astonish me in wrestling. This has, and then some. Nice money saver for WWE mind. Then, Tom, it's bonkers. Also, Paul White, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and then you again, old man, without wishing to sound like a cunt, what value is there in this for AEW? And I've just said he's coming in as a commentator, apparently. But to answer your question, I've no idea. That was the um, little conversation we had about this. Hang on, Tinky, you missed out the bit where you constantly asked me and Tom for dick pics. <laughs> so, yeah, I noticed the way Paul White was walking in the weeks leading up to this match, to be honest. And it was making me very uncomfortable every single time he came out to the ring. His knees are clearly not in the Neat. best shape. And it just doesn't, you just don't want him to be wrestling. I don't think they ever intended him to be a wrestler in AEW. And to be honest, I think if he does do any more matches, it will be similar to this in very short, very almost pointless matches where they can just, this ultimately I thought was a good place to put this. Calm the crowd. You've just had some really emotional moments. CM Punk coming out. You had the Chris Jericho victory not long ago. You had that incredible tag team match. Just bring everybody down a bit. And it made some sense from that perspective. I don't want to see him wrestling regularly at all. Like if he has to do this again once a year, we'll be fine. But 
it's got to be just like this. I'd actually quite like to see him in some multi-mans where he can just literally stand there, come in for 30 seconds, then get out again. And I think if they keep his role to that in the ring, I won't have any real problem with it. Because for me, this was very far away and didn't really matter anyway. Sorry, Tinky, when you mentioned Paul White in multi-man, were you still talking about wrestling or porno? <laughs> The, the um, worrying thing, of course, though, is that on Dynamite last week, they had Billy Gunn and his two sons turn on, on Paul White, which yes. suggests that there is more to come, and he might be facing fucking Billy Gunn in the future. Man, the tell, you what, tell you what, fucking a 1999 called, and they want their wrestlers back. <laughs> um, I think, and this may be me giving them too much credit, I reckon they looked at their card, and they were like, tell you what, boys, we need a fucking piss break in there somewhere. And then they were like, do you know what, Paul, with your weird surname, get in there. And they've got a couple of options for that. They've obviously got Mark Henry. Now, Mark Henry, as we know, is, is probably still capable of putting on an absolute clinic. But I reckon I reckon that's probably why this match happens, why it's there. They're probably like, do you know, we've got a lot of big matches on this pay-per-view. We're going to be getting a lot of eyes. We need we need some we need a piss break match. So that's why we're chucking yeah. this in here. And I think for that purpose, it was absolutely fine. Like I said, said to you, old man, the other day, it's best Big Show match I've watched in years. Because it's a three-minute greatest hits of Big Show. Him walking around, doing the slaps, a couple of choke slams. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was fine. Like, going, I'm not going into this match expecting anything of it. So three minutes of the Big Show lumbering around, looking, as I'm sure old man said, like he shat himself walking down to the ring. And then, and then choke slamming some motherfuckers is fine. It's absolutely fine. And it served its purpose. And, and for, for matches, matches like that, that's absolutely fine. You, you know mean, what was it's weird? It's not worth getting hit up about, old man. I don't know why you're getting so angry. <laughs> That's too late. Um, <laughs> you, know what, you know what was weird? Is he didn't step over the top rope. He went under the bottom rope when he left the ring. He did. When he left the ring, yeah, he did. Yeah, Yeah, but also um, every now and then it kind of dawns on me how massive people are. Oh, mate, Alex, who got shit on his hand. Well, spend spend that weekend with him. Every now and then, I just look at him and go, "You're fucking massive." Obviously, wouldn't say it to him because it's rude. But uh, hey, well, what wasted life? He should have been a wrestler. Yeah, no. <laughs> to be fair, he was too busy watching Bristol Rovers. Again, I, I stand by my point. What, what wasted yeah, life? Yeah. <laughs> Lovely man. Lovely yeah. guy. Paul White does a well. I say dive. He falls in the air. No, no, that's not fair. He jumps. And he catches, I think it's uh, Aaron Solo when he comes in. And he is a massive man. And I was like, bloody heck, look at the size of that cunt. What's he doing in a wrestling ring? Well, I think we've already spent too much time on this match. So let's move yeah. on. So you know what this was missing? And this is why Mark Henry isn't wrestling anymore. Because Viscera passed away. <laughs> That's what this should have been. You so, should have had Mae Young, who's also dead. I think, God. is she? Yeah. Old man, oh, old man's just not willing us, willing to let us move on. No, I'm not. Because he hasn't ranted enough about it. Nothing else <laughs> happens on the show, so why are we so keen to get to the end? <laughs> uh, I don't see you. Is this is the case now of me and old man have had a couple of few too many beers and are derailing <laughs> quite a lot. Okay, I tell you what, let's just take another break. Uh, it's been a while since we've had to take uh, two breaks in the same show, and then we'll come back in a moment after you guys have managed to get yourself together. Get 
Vader like that. Darby Allen, there is nothing you can do that is more dangerous than wrestling CM Punk. CM one of the greats. How the others keep coming in fake. The eyes of the world will be on Chicago, Illinois, as CM Punk makes his return to the ring for the first time in over seven years. When you collide, it's going to be showtime. So, the main event, Kenny Omega defending the AEW world title against Christian Cage. And Kenny Omega takes the victory after doing the one-winged angel off of the top rope. Tom, what were your thoughts? So, I love the fact that um, that Christian Cage is the is the, t- of the Impact champion coming into the match. Something I didn't actually realise until about halfway through the match, because I must have missed his entrance. His entrance. Having the Impact championship is kind of like being the tallest dwarf. And it's like, yeah, really? Is that is that what you want? Is that where you're gonna hang your hat on? Um, this match was good. I, I think Christian Cage is leaps and bounds better than Christian. Mm. I think he he does his his move set is a bit more interesting. He um looks a bit more engaged, obviously, because I guess maybe he's not got a promoter that wants to put a blue dot in front of his face. Um, <laughs> the way um, we well, the way we do with old man, you mean? <laughs> Exactly, old man, the Christian Cage of podcasting. Um, this is horrible. <laughs> um, we do it to protect you, old man. You're ripping my face to shreds. <laughs> Someone's already done that, old man. <laughs> oh, no. Look how happy he is as well. <laughs> you can't be mad at it, can you, old man? When you're insulted by someone who's that pleased with, them, with themselves, it's hard to be annoyed, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, like, so I remember watching... Um, ripped impact <laughs> to shreds them but i i remember watching some of his run in impact and thinking it was quite good and then comes to the wwe and doesn't do anything and it's that kind of like now he's kind of presented as that kind of like a bit of like a grizzled veteran who knows what he's doing i quite enjoyed it kenny omega i do think is a very good wrestler i must admit a lot of his matches seem pretty similar to me if i'm being honest there seems to be you know there doesn't seem to be a, a, a lot of difference in, and that doesn't really matter as long as people care there's only a few things in kenny omega matches and i think i can kind of tie this into the elite and i'm glad that that the um the young bucks didn't really do this much or at all in their match i really don't like the fact that he's so cool all the time there, there's like a smugness and, a, and an arrogance about him and it's a little bit of it seems to be a little bit too self-aware at times. I think annoys me a little bit. Now that could be absolutely phenomenal work. So, and and I think, and there's a chance that, that could be the case. And if that is the case, then kudos to him. But I thought the match in itself was quite good. The, the spear through the table was good. The double foot stomp through the table was pretty good. The one winged angel off the top rope at the end was fucking mind blowing. And there's one move that he did with some kind of like, backbreaker or shoulder breaker where he lifted Christian up onto his shoulders and then like, like almost in like a maybe like a Death Valley driver position or he might have even been on his shoulders and ready for like a doomsday device flipped him over and like did a, a like a high backbreaker yeah. on 
on Christian that looked absolutely brutal. It was decent. And I also want to give a big shout out to Don Callis as well on the outside. That pink suit and those shoes in particular <laughs> make him look like such a fucking dickhead. And I'm all for it because I thought it was brilliant. And the bit when he waved down Gallows and Anderson to get involved, I thought was a great, a great bit of heel work. And I'm glad that that didn't ultimately end up end up having too much of a, an effect on the end of the match in the way it finished. Um, but I like the fact that it meant that they were down there for what would then go on to happen after the match, which I'm sure we'll discuss ad nauseum later. But overall, I enjoyed the match. I did like it. It's 21 minutes, 20 seconds. I was anticipating half hour at least, and I knew it was going to be great. The problem is, and I think it was you alluded to this earlier, Tinky, that the winner was never in doubt. It was never in any doubt. And I love Christian. I absolutely love it. I think he is tremendous. But I never believed for a second that he was ever going to win this match. And as much as I would like to say that didn't take away from it, it did. Because I wasn't I wasn't as invested in it as I would have been. And I think if I had even a small belief that he would have won... This would have been a couple of wipes in the Tokyo Dome, I think. As it is, it's probably a little raisin of shit stuck to your asshole that you get off reasonably easy, but it's not in a Tokyo Dome, it's in Earl's Court or something. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, <court. laughs> it's good. And I think this really suffers because of the punk match, because I think you've got two matches where you're like, I know who's winning this. And I know they're going to be decent. I knew this was going to be the best of the lot. But it did take away from it. And I, it's almost sacrilege to say because they're so good, these guys. But there wasn't that drama there. I think if I watched this in isolation again, I would probably enjoy it immensely. And to just watch it as it was. But at the end of this show, with and the truth is I couldn't get it out of my head, with that tag match, it kind of up to it, unfortunately. I think the biggest problem is exactly what you've said, is that we know Christian Cage isn't winning. It's just too obvious. And as I said, they they telegraphed it even more by having Cage beat him on Rampage for the Impact World title. Like if they hadn't, obviously Omega held the title and held the AEW World Championship. I thought it was quite a clever way of having another match, but it would have been more clever if it was a wrestler that anyone even going into that I thought might have a chance against Kenny Omega but because he already knew he wasn't going to be Kenny Omega let's be honest it's not it's Christian Cage he's well into his 40s it doesn't make any sense to have the title off of Kenny Omega and give it to Christian Cage the having then won the Impact title from him he wasn't going to do it twice in a row it just was never going to happen there's even reports that AEW asked AAA because obviously Kenny Omega is also the AAA world champion that to not have him lose to Andrade as had been planned apparently at one of their recent shows because it would have been two days after Kenny Omega lost to Christian and they're trying to they were trying to protect him they don't want him to lose two titles in the space of like a weekend so I, there's no way Christian Cage is going to win and that really played into it because it's a good match but you're right Kenny Omega is so good but he relies on the drama of the sporting contest for that to work you need to believe that there's a small chance at least that his opponent can win and there was just no way so I, I think it really did suffer for that it was a good match and I'd still I'd really only put it on the same level as all the other matches I listed earlier on in terms of you know it's good but not great 
there's one great match on this and it is possibly one of the greatest matches ever i didn't think that that actually impacted my enjoyment of this i thought had we gone into this with this match believing that it was there's a chance that christian cage could win it could have been great but it didn't have that and also i think coming at the end of a three hour and 45 minute pay-per-view just yeah. did, you needed that drama otherwise you were never going to carry through and it it basically it, this is, i said this on the chat it almost ran out of steam before the end of the match it just about made it there because they're they're good enough to make it there but i think in lesser hands this would have been a triple h jericho style main event of a Ooh. show where you're kind of like no one really cares it didn't have that which was great but yeah it wasn't as good as it might have been i think their match on rampage is better because again that you could believe he could win and he obviously did mm. just wanted to call back to what you what you lad said about the um the the lack of jeopardy as such in the match knowing that knowing that christian wasn't going to win and i didn't say that in in my little spiel about it but i 100 percent agree with that i felt that at the time what i was looking forward to i think the reason i that I kind of added the jeopardy to it myself, knowing that we'd got this far into the show and I knew that something else was going to happen. Mm. Um, and I think that I think I wondered how they were going to tie it into this match. So that was where the jeopardy I, I kind of created the jeopardy for myself, wondering how they were going to go about doing it. Yeah, I mean, I watched recently I managed to catch the end of Smackdown where Roman Reigns faced Finn Balor recently mm. and Kenny Omega is the same feeling as Roman Reigns. They're not going to have him lose until they've got somebody that genuinely they really want to build or they really want to get behind. It's not Christian Cage, especially with the people that have come in before the show and then at the end of this show. Just before we move on, prefix this with echoing my love of Christian. Where does he go from this? Don't know. Don't know. It's really, I was thinking that afterwards. I was like, like you said, he's in mid 40s, man. I think he might be late 40s. Mm. I mean, I said late. I was like, like he's like 90, late 40s. Fucking <laughs> hell. And uh, yeah, I was a bit like, oh, what happens here? And he won the Impact title. Didn't they retire that title? No. So he, what had happened, I'm just going into Impact now, but mm. basically at the beginning of the year, there were two titles in the impact in impact ah. the old tna title and the impact ah, that's the yes the one they retired yes and so christian cage when he won it from kenny omega he actually won both titles and then he retired the tna belt lovely so he retired tna test and albert <laughs> well okay. someone had to someone had to about time oh dang well to be fair test has been dead for about 15 years but i guess put it this way even if Christian Cage doesn't have another match in AEW now, right? Mm. Christian Cage just got exactly out of this what as much as he probably could hope for. Yeah. Because he wasn't going to be wrestling at all. WWE were like, no, we're not interested. We you know, don't wrestle. He's headlined the biggest show in company history to this point. Mm. He has become, okay, Impact World Champion, not an amazingly important title, but in fairness, he did it on an AEW show, the first episode of Rampage, which was a significant show. And he might have now a little run in Impact where he can have a few headline matches in their pay-per-views because that's exactly what Omega had done prior to this. So Kenny Omega appeared in a couple of main events of their, their pay-per-views. And actually, I think that the working agreement they've got has worked really well for Impact because they are basically, they mean they mean pretty much nothing to most people. But having Omega hold their title actually made it made it mean something for a bit and i think it might less so but it might it might help them with christian cage as well so i think um 
even if this is the last match he has in AW, and I don't think it will be, he'll probably continue to wrestle in a lesser capacity, not a main event role. I think he should be pretty happy with with what he's got out of it. Mm. So then we get the afters. First of all, we get all the elite come down and start to attack Christian Cage. Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus come out to try and Luchasaurus. down. What's the what's the what's the little guy that goes around uh, with them? Captain it's, uh, Marco Stunt. That's it. He's also out there. Sorry, hang on, hang on, hang on. Now I get the feeling that people listen to this and they think Tinky's the gentleman on this show. Who's the little guy who runs around with them? That is disgusting. Just didn't know his name, old man. That's all. <laughs> Who's the midget? You said <laughs> the, the pathetic man who can't grow. Yes, that's exactly word for word what I said. <laughs> um, so they attack. They get attacked by all of the elite. And then Kenny Omega begins to cut a promo. The main line of which comes at the end when he says the only people that could come close to beating him are people that are either wrestling somewhere else, are retired or are already dead. At which point some music hits and Adam Cole steps out of the back. Can I also can I say a quick thing prior to, to the Adam Cole kind of debut? The Young Bucks, when they come down, are brilliant. Because they are selling the shit out of the match they've been to. They look like they've just had the shit kicked out of them, which is exactly how they should look. Yeah. And also, the dress looks such cunts as well. <laughs> and you're like, you know what? I believe it. I believe that you guys are absolute dickheads. And I thought it was, I thought it was great. And the, yeah, their their kind of selling in particular was was great. I, I I really enjoyed that. When Adam Cole comes out, the lights go out. I was expecting to hear the gong, and I was like, oh. hello. Hello, they brought the Undertaker. <laughs> um, God, can when, you imagine that? When Adam Cole comes out, the pop is sensational because I think everyone was expecting Daniel Bryan at that yeah, point. Yeah. There are yes chants going on. Everyone's expecting Daniel Bryan. And what happens, which I think is so clever at this point, is that he comes out, and I'm thinking, because I didn't know that Adam Cole debuted at this point. Not me. So I'm thinking to myself, what's going to happen? Are they going to be like, well, there's five of us and one of you. Do you know what I mean? We can we can all out team you. And then he was going to be like, wave Daniel Bryan down. Uh, oh, sorry, we need to, I need to get used to Bryan Danielson, which is the hardest name in the world to say <laughs> I've discovered in the last couple of days. He, and I thought he would get Bryan Danielson. I thought they would get him down and then they'd kind of square off against them. The genius in him super kicking Jungle Boy and just as he's getting up is absolutely brilliant and immediately turns him heel. And then the obnoxious four way kiss that they have in front of the hard camera was absolutely brilliant. I was like, these, these guys are dickheads. And that the promo that they cut saying like when when Kenny Omega's like, he's one of our best friends. Obviously, he's not going to come yeah. out against us. I thought it was really good. And sometimes I find the knowing, like, AA, this is all a work. We all know each other, wink, wink, kind of thing that the elite do quite a lot. I can find it quite tedious and tiresome at times. In this instance, I thought it was brilliantly done. And I thought that that debut, that, that first, like, first off appearance of Adam Cole was absolutely brilliant. The reason that was well done is because there wasn't a wink, wink. It was just, this is our no. friend. 
course no, it's not going to attack us. No, yeah. but that's what they usually do, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's my point, is that they didn't do it, and that's why mm. it was good. Like, if you, it's always my thing, is that you can do some insider stuff so long as you do it within the bounds of the universe you created on screen. And that's all you need to do, and that's exactly what they did do. So, Tommy said about Jungle Boy, Jungle Boy is the MVP in this. Because, and also, we mentioned the production crew earlier. So there's this beautiful bit where they're showing is Adam Cole's coming down. So he's just been shown and a crowd are gone bananas. And then they cut back to um, old uh, Kenny Omega and all, all his cronies. And Jungle Boy is just dragging himself up right in front of them, right in front of the hard cam. So you can see him and he's struggling. And I noticed it and I was like, oh, good old Jungle Boy, still selling like a champ. And then he gets up and he gets super kicked. And I was like, oh, it's people. And also, just the perfect guy to get super kicked because everyone loves Jungle Boy. Yeah. Every single person loves Jungle Boy. And it's um, it's not because of who he is. It's because of how good he is as well. Like, he obviously, his dad's Luke Perry. So he got a lot of sympathy, I think, early yes. on. And a lot of, yeah, 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 who really? passed away. Yeah, so he got a lot of... um a lot of love from that and he's so good that I think he's kind of moved the fans away from that and they're just like this guy's fucking the real deal and him getting super kicked beautiful and I'm just glad it didn't happen to Luchasaurus because I couldn't <laughs> have handled it I think that uh, I think the people like him because I didn't uh, until you mentioned that a while back oh man I didn't know that about him but he's just incredibly likable and he's with Luchasaurus who's incredibly likable their their music is phenomenal it's like it's just the 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 old you know the singing along yeah that bit just amazing so yeah i agree everybody likes him and i i didn't go mad for the heel turn i didn't mind it but i i was like yeah i mean that i don't don't, don't think it was predictable it just i guess what maybe worried me is that we are what I was saying earlier on about the NWO and how they always won. And I was like, Kenny Omega just won the match. This guy comes out to confront them. Then he turns heel instantly. I just, I just want something to cheer. Now, obviously we did get that. So I don't mind it in retrospect, but at the time I was like, Oh, that's a bit, that's a little bit disappointing. And it's Luke Perry, the actor. Who's the vice president? <laughs> Shannon Doherty. <laughs> lovely, lovely stuff. Um, so then, yes, they uh, they've beaten down, or they've beaten down the hill, uh, the baby faces. Jungle Boy's been super kicked. They've done the kiss, as you said. Kenny Omega then takes the mic one more time and does his traditional sign off before Daniel Bryan's music hits. Ride of the Valkyries hits, and then transitioned into some kind of remix that they've created for him. I thought that was fucking brilliant. The the new take on the music, because obviously Ride of the Valkyries is a is a well-known piece of music that WWE obviously don't own the copyright to. And to sample that at the beginning, then turn it into some kind of like trap, kind of Southern hip hop bass, like kind of like heavy 808 bassy kind of hip hop song just sounded cool. Like mm. Daniel Bryan's music, whilst I think it's kind of iconic in his WWE run, it was never cool. And I know no. at the beginning when he first had ride of the Valkyries as a theme, it was kind of because he was a bit, they presented him as being a bit weird and a bit nerdy and a bit whatever but the fact is that it's become synonymous with it now so to be able to like kind of take a sample of that and to be able to flip it and use it in a manner to, that sounds quite cool i thought was was really good i'm not gonna lie boys 
I nearly fucking shit my pants when he came out. And not so much <laughs> when he came out, but he comes out, he looks great. Now, he's put, he looks like he's put on a bit of mass. He looks a little bit bigger. Not massive, but he looks a little bit bigger. He looks, he's in great shape and he comes out and they kind of have a bit of a face off. I noted that I think Adam Page kind of immediately left the ring at that point. Kenny um, Omega. Oh, Kenny Omega left the ring, did he? Okay. Um, so it's, it's four, it's four v four, and the focus is obviously on Daniel Bryan and one of the young bucks. I don't know which one. Nick Jackson. Nick Jackson. So he's 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 given the old, he's given Nick the kicks in the corner, and he is fucking laying them in. He it looks like, and maybe it's just because he looks a little bit different and he's not in his his normal wrestling attire and stuff like that but he really looks like he's he's working with a level of intensity that i've not seen him in in years with him then he hits like a, a german suplex which i was kind of caught off guard by i was like oh i don't recall seeing him do that in wwe if i'm being honest again i might be wrong but i don't i don't remember him doing that and it's like a proper like snap german suplex it's real quick low to the ground and it looks great and then he hits hits the running knee and that's it i thought i'm not gonna lie i was as i said i was close to but i did pretty much soil myself during this bit because <laughs> i got so excited and what i absolutely loved is that he didn't do the yes chance Mm. he didn't do it i love that the crowd were doing it and he was just there and they will continue to do it and he will continue to not do it i I suspect because i think there might be some kind of like wwe intellectual kind of copyright or something like that on it or maybe he's just like no do you know what that's what i did over there it's fine they'll still do it here but i won't bother with it anymore and i just thought that it was fucking amazing what a tear Emma, <laughs> as uh, as Ric Flair would say, but he, he, it, it means less coming from Ric Flair because he always fucking cries. But it was a, uh, <laughs> but you know, it was it, it was just an absolutely phenomenal moment and a tremendous way to finish what had been a very enjoyable show. Are you suggesting, Tom, that you deliver that promo better than the Nature Boy? I can fucking deliver it with my dick tied behind my back, mate. Easy. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was just great. It was absolutely phenomenal. I enjoyed it when it happened. In hindsight, I think it's too much, to be honest. I think you've got three debuts on the show and four? Minoru Suzuki. Oh, yeah. I don't know who he is. All I know is that his hair is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, I was a bit torn about this. I didn't go nuts for it. I think I had a problem in that I had gone to look for something for work on Google and for some reason it had popped up and I don't know why I wasn't looking for anything related to it. But, uh, yeah, I'll be honest, I'm just not that excited about it. Mm-hmm. And I I really caught off guard by it because I quite enjoyed it when I watched it. But I have thought about it now. If we'd done this this time yesterday, I would have been very excited about it. But what is, I, it, that you, what is it that you're finding not exciting? Is it Daniel Bryan himself? Is it the fact that Adam Cole's there as well and CM Punk and Ruby Riot? Or what, what I think, it? to be honest, it's... I think I'm very used to watching WWE where they have a little cycle of six or seven guys. And in my mind, I can't think how they're going to get all of these guys into good stuff. And I think that's where it comes from. I think it's a little bit like, I don't know how this works. Mm. It's the logistics in me that have gone, I don't know how this works. How how are they going to do this? And I also thought that it's not very scary since one man against five. And I know you've got Luchasaurus 
Jungle Boy, Mark of Stunt there. And the little face-off leads, obviously, to a lovely little eight- or ten-person tag match that will happen down the line, I think. But, yeah, I think it was just too much. I think it was just too much for me. We've had, and I don't think that it's their fault, we've had John Cena come back at the end of a WWE pay-per-view, Becky Lynch, and then Brock Lesnar come back. And I think this was the one, probably the most important one of all of them, but it come at the end of a run of three pay-per-views where I've seen seven people either come back or debut. And I think it was just a bit much. And I feel like they wasted it a little. And I get it because it's a pay-per-view, but if they'd done this on Dynamite, I would. Well, there's a there's a few different things. I, I actually have some sympathy for what you're saying. Oh man, I do think from a purely in the moment thing, it probably was a little too much. And maybe this is why when Adam Cole came out, I was kind of hoping that Daniel Bryan would Brian Danielson wouldn't come out. Because I just thought that's enough of a surprise. Adam Cole coming out, the reaction to Adam Cole, you don't even need to deliver Brian right, Danielson now. He was the surprise. And yeah. Everyone knew Daniel Bryan was coming yeah, back. Exactly, the biggest exactly. surprise would have been not to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. So I, I, I get it from that perspective entirely. That's what I'm saying. I've got some sympathy for that that viewpoint. But I think there are other things at play. So first thing is, it's not necessarily about exactly how amazing it is in the moment, although it was still a great moment. It's about coming out of the show. People who haven't even seen it are like, fuck, CM Punk, Brian Danielson, Adam Cole, adding to this roster that's already got an embarrassment of riches. Like, oh, I'm going to add me some of that next time. Also, it's they've done the important things on the pay-per-view. And I'm such a believer in doing that. If you're mm. going to do these big moments, do them when people have to pay to watch them and train your audience to know that the big things are going to happen when they have to pay for them, rather than giving them away on free television so that you train them to be like, well, I'm not going to bother with that. It's like it's like those WrestleManias, like when. For example, Dolph Ziggler cashed in the money in your bank. That's what most fans were just crying out for. Should have put it on WrestleMania because people yeah. were paying for that. Don't do it the next night and train them to go, oh, I may as well just not bother with WrestleMania because all the good stuff was on Raw the next night. Mm -hmm. So I think those things are at play and I do think that they're important to live up to. So I actually do entirely agree with you. I think it probably would have been better had they spread these moments out in terms of a purely artistic perspective. But when you're talking about the business perspective as well, on top of that, layered over the top, I completely believe that this is the right thing to do to get that real big buzz now around AEW, mm. which is like, fucking hell, I'm looking at that roster and I'm like, even if, even if the only two things you get from this is a potential Kenny Omega, Brian Danielson match and Kenny Omega CM Punk match. That's already massive for next year's pay-per-views, potentially. They may even go the last one of this year. Who knows? But then you add in the fact that you've got all the talent that we've already talked about on this show and other talents that weren't even on this show. And the number of potential scenarios and the possibilities that are there seemingly endless now in terms of the talent they've got. And some of the matches we will have seen in WWE, for example, Jericho against Punk and Jericho against Bryan, They'll probably give that away on free TV and it won't be a problem because the matches have already been given away. So they can do that. That's not a problem. But they've got some really big matches in the future. I think CM Punk already 
um, teased and at the idea of him and Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, against the Young Bucks, which would be insane. Oh, lovely um, little match. Exactly. And they're just thinking about it. You're like, fuck, I want to see that match. And if they put it on a pay-per-view, people are going to buy it. And not only that, but, da- but Brian, Brian Danielson has spoken, to your point earlier on, about the yes chance and saying he's not sure he is going to use them in AEW because he wants to respect WWE's potential he doesn't know, but it might be their intellectual property. But he's also been very, very contradictory to CM Punk in terms of him in two in two ways, actually. The first way is that he's actually said that he respects the people he worked with in WWE and he's got a lot of fondness for them. I guess partly there's also the fact that his wife still effectively has a business relationship with mm. WWE. So that would be awkward if he started shitting on them. But also <laughs> the first thing he said was CM Punk wants to work with these young guys. I want to beat the shit out of them. He basically come out and said, I want to, I want to kill them. <laughs> and so it's like, that's what I wanted from Punk yeah. was mm. I want to win matches. I want to beat these guys and show that I am the best because that's what it should all be about. So I'm excited for the possibilities, but I do, I do get it. Oh man, I do. I don't think it was quite an amazing moment because I do think they maybe slightly, if they really wanted to make it the best artistic moments, could have held the Brian Danielson debut back for uh, for the for a dynamite or something maybe. I think we're talking about how we would talk about a show on the podcast. I think if this is us three sat in a pub, I'm probably sucking one of you off talking about <laughs> it. Right, to be honest. But I think yeah, you kind of were, and also I didn't pay for the pay per view. Mm. I I watched it through a means where I don't pay. And I do believe that if I had paid and I'd got that payoff, I would have, well, put it this way, the thing that would have been all out would have been the come out my balls. <laughs> do, do you think, I wonder if they were, got, they got themselves into a bit of a situation where with Adam Cole, it was kind of now or never we need to debut him because the longer, it was kind of out there in the open that Brian Danielson was going to be debuting at this pay-per-view or at some time in the immediate future. Mm-hmm. But Adam Cole's contract only ended up, ended recently after mm-hmm. SummerSlam. And the longer that he doesn't appear on NXT, the longer it's likely to be that he turns up in AEW. Therefore, they're like, well, in this situation where everyone, we know Daniel Bryan's, fuck me, what's his name? You, you can <laughs> say Bryan. Daniel Bryan. Just say no, Daniel no, no, Bryan. No, no, yeah. no, I need to get this out of my system. I need to get this right because it's doing my head <laughs> Everyone knows we're going to be debuting Brian Danielson soon. So we have to do the Adam Cole one as well because the longer it goes, we're going to end up in another situation where people are chanting his name before he turns mm. up. So maybe they kind of thought to themselves in this instance, maybe we just need to do this. I know it might seem overkill at the time by having, you know, where we could probably do a slow burn and, and integrate them these days with the way the information, you know, travels and, you know, 24 hour news cycle, Twitter, et cetera, all that bullshit. They were like, do you know what? Let's just fucking do it both at the same time, both barrels fucking have that. And and to your point of man about all of the returns that have happened. I think that all of the returns that WWE have done have been a direct response to what AEW are doing. So I find it hard to criticize AEW for doing these returns when I think that the WWE returns are a direct reaction to what AEW are yeah. doing. The um, it's an exciting I, time, isn't it? It is. I want, I want to talk about which quickly Adam Cole's decision ultimately to go to AEW. Now, this is really interesting because, as you said, it was only about two weeks ago that he fought in the main event of NXT TakeOver 36, I think it was called. Uh, for in against Kylie Riley in a two out of three falls match, 
um, apparently need, he said that he, both he and WWE were surprised that his contract was up in the summer. They hadn't, they both thought it was another six months and they had agreed, he agreed to an extension for a couple of months to finish the program with Kyle O'Reilly, which and I've seen another report which suggests that they, WWE have got nothing but good things to say about Cole's professionalism in the way he handled that and, and exited the company. And apparently he they still wanted to keep him. They still wanted to keep him, put him up onto the main roster and use him in some way. Now, I don't know how big their plans were for him. Maybe not big at all. But ultimately, Adam Cole had a place on the main roster. It wasn't like with Rusev or with Andrade or with um, Alastair Black, where WWE said, you know what, we're releasing you. And then AEW picked them up knowing that they're good talents. This is a guy who actually WWE wanted to hold on to. And yet he chose to jump across to AEW. That feels significant, whether it's because... Either he felt like he had more opportunities in AEW and was more excited by the possibilities of facing the likes of Punk and Brian and all that. Whether it was because they've given him a better financial package in AEW, I don't. Whatever it is, it's significant. Whatever what reason he's given, because what chance of that was there just two years ago of a wrestler mm. who had a potential future in WWE choosing to go somewhere else? Not very regular at all. It's a it's I think there's numerous things. I think he's probably got a lot of mates over there who are like, listen, it's it's a good laugh over here. We've got a lighter schedule. That's another thing as well, I think, because they're not yeah. touring at the moment. They're just a TV company. And I I think this is something that maybe gets overlooked a little bit. But obviously, Tony Khan has got some pretty fucking deep pockets as well mm. which i think people think of AEW as being a you know a, like an independent promotion and, and obviously you know i guess technically it probably is but i think that there are some fucking pretty big there's some pretty big money behind that so that that would i imagine have played a, a role in it as well and i think maybe you're right i think this could be a bit of like a sliding doors moment perhaps for for talent to 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 start making that that jump across because it does seem like they have more creative freedom over over an AEW. It seems like they can push the boundaries a bit more, have some more, you know, intense matches. And I think that it's probably quite an appealing destination for a lot of people to go to. And it depends what you're in the wrestling business for. If you're in the wrestling business for exposure and to make a shit ton of money, then the WWE is the place to go. If you want to get your you know, marketing deals. If you want to be, get a, 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 if you know, if you want to at some point segue into acting or in some kind of mainstream media, then you've got that. But if you are a, a, a someone who's come up as a fan of wrestling, who who loves professional wrestling, then AEW, especially with the changes that they're looking to do to NXT, then AEW is probably the place to go. It's a very interesting thing as well because, like the Adam Cole thing in particular, is like, and from what. Like I read an interview that he gave Adam Cole, like they just let him go. If if they, I know if someone's contracts up, you haven't really got a choice. But it's a very interesting dynamic going on where I think WWE seem perfectly happy for their wrestlers to go. Like they would have known Daniel Bryan would become Bryan Danielson and go to AEW when they allowed his contract to run and from what Daniel now Bryan said is that Vince McMahon was very protective of him so didn't want him doing certain things in the ring mm-hmm. and AEW obviously a bit more not necessarily liberal with that because that sounds like I'm making out that they're taking liberties with his body but they're maybe more willing to listen to medical advice and not 
go beyond that than WWE maybe. But it does kind of feel like they're handing them a lot of people. Well, I just, I don't, th- I mean, first of all, they didn't really have a choice with Daniel Bryan. He chose not to sign a new contract. Mm. He's basically said, I'm not signing another contract. And I don't think in a bad way. He said he has, since this happened, since the, the event on Sunday, he has said that it was a bind. He wasn't sure about what he was going to do. Mm. He wasn't sure he was going to move because he's got a lot of deep business relationships and friendships in the company that he's just come from. So, like, I, you know, he's, he said there was a kind of decision to be made. But at the same time, obviously, he chose not to resign. Same thing with Adam Cole. He was offered a deal. He was going to be going up to the main roster, but he decided not to take it. And they were, as I said, they've been happy with the way he left because he still he still signed that extension. That he didn't have to sign and came, you know, went in and, and, and finished the program with Kyle O'Reilly. But at the same time. He's made the choice too. So I, with some of these guys in the past, you know, obviously you've seen where they've released people. Yes, they seem happy to say, well, we're not really worried about that. I think they might start thinking twice though about it now. If they start mm. to think that AEW is picking up a little bit of steam, a little bit of momentum, and people are tuning in that hadn't previously been tuning in, some of the numbers start to go up, some of their numbers start to look a bit different because they're seeing people not necessarily stopping watching WWE, but going, actually, I can only afford one pay-per-view this month or, or the network. I'm going to go with the pay-per-view for this month. That might affect some of their numbers, things like that then they might start start thinking twice about releasing some of these guys and going, actually, we kind of want to keep hold of that talent. So can I segue a little bit into our kind of final thoughts of it? Because what you've just said, then I think kind of relates back to what I was thinking about my final thoughts. My final thoughts on the pay-per-view is I really enjoyed it. And it's made me take a vested interest in AEW as as a company and and as a product. So much so that I am going to be signing up to the AEW Plus on on Fight Network, and I will probably pay for the pay per views in the future if I find that I'm watching the product regularly enough. I'm very aware that I'm very much caught up in this in the moment. Speak to me in three weeks' time, I might yeah. not have watched a lick of AEW. So I'm very <laughs> I'm very aware of that. I'm very I'm very kind of I'm very swayed by what's happening in in this current moment in time. That being said, I, I'm very intrigued and I'm very interested to see what happens going forward in a way that I haven't been with the current wrestling product in a long time. I probably, do you know what I think? Like even when I think back to like the times that we were kind of watching when we lived together and we were watching it a little bit and we were, but, but that was because we were going. Do you know what I mean? That was mm. because we were going to WrestleMania, so you take a vested interest in what's happening. Obviously, I'm not going to an AEW pay per view anytime soon, but the idea of it just it just seems exciting. It seems interesting. It seems fresh. It seems everything that I don't get from WWE, i.e. continuity, freshness, a kind of new approach to things. I bloody love stables as well. And AEW yeah. certainly got plenty of them because it makes sense because you would think about your workplace environment. Everyone's got their groups of friends, haven't they? Or their teams that they work in. The same thing should apply to to you as a wrestler. And I just I just think that this for me is is a great jumping um, on point for AEW. Um, I think the momentum's in their favor. And I do think that I always thought kind of prior to this, that I think that it was almost a, a bit of an afterthought for WWE, AEW. I always thought they probably didn't really care what was going on. They're like, well, that's their little thing over there. Now that they've like two of their biggest talents have jumped ship and CM Punk, who they would have back if they could 
is over there as well, I think are going to make them, or they're going to have to, to step their game up. And whilst they're still earning and creating so much money with their TV deals and their sponsorships and their overseas tours and their live event shows, that goodwill is only going to last so long, especially if there is so much AEW content that's available at either a reasonable price for us over here in the UK or on TV over in the States that is going to make people want to start watching it. In terms of the actual show, I'm going to give this a seven. I thoroughly enjoyed this show. I thought it was great. I enjoyed the main event. The Lucha Bros is versus the tag team versus the tag team. Well, they are a tag team, so yeah, we'll stick with that. The Lucha Bros versus the Young Bucks is definitely the match of the night because, well, in my mind will be blown if this isn't unanimous from us. I think I'll quit the podcast if that happened. Um, and in terms of my MVP of the night. I think I am going to go with fuck it, I'm going to go with Daniel with with, with Brian Danielson. Um just he, I got so excited when he came. No fuck that. No I'm not going with that. It's Pentagon Junior. He's amazing. He's fucking amazing. He's he's so good. Uh, I, I loved the the sacrifice with the with the kick to the face. I loved the the going over to his kids afterwards. I loved that entire match and I I I couldn't with a clean conscience give it to someone who wasn't involved in that match. So I hope you two have got clean consciences too. <laughs> <laughs> clean consciences, but not clean sheets. Oh, yeah. no, definitely not. So I just have a look at the match card here. There's not a bad match on there. The weakest match is Paul Wiggett and QT Marshall, but it's three minutes and 10 seconds. What are we worried about? What are you worried about? Stop crying. I know, it's terrible. Um, I'm going to give this an eight. Because I think that's fair. Because you've got Miro, Eddie Kingston, loved it. Moxie Kojima, enjoyed it. Baker Statlander, really enjoyed it. Luke Bros, Young Bucks, not even a ghost shit. I'm trying to think of, I run out of superlatives. Six stars but, in Tokyo Dome, I think, is really the uh, well, thing you're looking yeah, for. It's lazy. No, I'll tell you what that is, mate. That is, you know, in um, Demolition Man, when they've got the shells to wipe their yes. asses, <laughs> it, is, it is one shell in the Demolition Man. That's oh, nice, beautiful. Uh, then you've got the Women's Battle Royal, which I thoroughly enjoyed, in spite of knowing maybe a third of the participants. Jericho MGF, really enjoyed it. Punk Darby Allen is decent, but it's kind of like, as Tinky said, it's a little bit of shit, but a fair bit of fart. And then you've got a good main event with... Well, I consider a tremendous debut in Adam Cole and then something that was a little bit too much for me, but I thoroughly enjoyed in the moment with Brian Danielson coming back. So it's going to be an eight. Match of the night is obviously Luther Rose Young Bucks. Disgusting. Disgusting <laughs> stuff. And my MVP is Excalibur because what he does, and I've noticed this watching Dynamite. He wears a mask. <laughs> yeah. And also... <laughs> the previous pay-per-views that I watched, what he does beautifully is he mops up around Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross. He just, like, if they make a mistake, he will quietly come in and he'll correct them on the name of a move. He'll call something or he'll correct them. I think he's the best commentator I have heard on wrestling for an incredibly long time. I can't think of anyone that has been better at actually calling wrestling, not necessarily from an entertainment point of view, but he calls it magnificently. And those little mop-up bits he does, just, and he's wearing a mask through the whole thing, like Tommy said. 
I'll, I'll be I'll be honest, mate. I think you are uh, forgetting Roddy Piper and uh, well, SummerSlam yeah. me. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Rodders. So, uh, my match of the night is obviously that tag match. It's just insane. It might even be my match of the year. It, in fact, it probably is. It might even be my match of the decade. It might even be the best match I've ever seen. I'm not even joking. It is so good from every perspective. Like, it's literally, it's all the great Hardy's Boys, Christian Edge matches with an insanely emotional moment. Sorry, I, I, you know how I have always loved the the matches with the SmackDown 6. Mm. This blows that out of the fucking water. Is this going above Brett and Owen? I don't know yet. It's too early to say. It, I've watched it once. It was only three days ago as we were recording this, or two days ago as we were recording this. So I can't say that for certain. But it, I'm saying it might go into that. The fact that it's even being contemplated. Exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. I agree. I agree. You've got that. Owen and Brett, Mark Henry Viscera. no yeah totally it is it's an amazing an amazing match it's got every element to it and as i said above all of it you just care so much that's what matters is you just care so much so yeah absolutely phenomenal the the overall show rating i'm gonna give an eight as well because i think that's an amazing match but around it there's plenty of very good but nothing Mm. else that's superb there's probably you know what i would call three and a half star matches i guess is what people would call in the in the usual scheme of things there are probably four of them on the show you know i think chris jericho and mjf i think cm punk darby allen i think the main event i think the women's title match and actually even the opener i think are at that kind of a level but there's nothing that goes a bit above that to get sort of you know in the real top realm of matches so had that had they had one of the matches like a main event that had got like a four star four and a half star it would be a nine or a ten no doubt about it but for me just just shy of that um and ultimately as i've always say the main event counts an awful lot towards that rating because that's really where you are saying this is what we're selling on can i change my rating to an eight as well i think i think you guys you guys have talked me into it do you reckon so we've got Kenny Omega champion and he's fighting someone else or they work it slightly differently where you actually think Christian Cage has actually got a chance of winning? Do you reckon we're looking at tens? We, we might be. We might be. If, yeah. if, if, this, if the main event is of that kind of next notch up, not as good as a tag team match, because I don't know how many matches get that far. But if it's that next notch up, you know, put it this way, if it's as good as even this might sound a bit weird. Even as good as the show we're going to cover next week, now that we've already recorded, yeah, the yeah. main event of that match, then I'm saying this is at least a nine because it's got an excellent main event. But I, I would also add, I think if they addressed our criticisms of the punk match as well, that would have given it an extra half, mm. at least. Yeah, very, it's very good. possibly. It's good to know. That, that was what I was sold on. That was why I watched it. In all due yeah. respect, uh, sorry, old man, I cut over you, but in all due respect, I was watching it because it was CM Punk's date return. Do you know what I mean? Uh, that was why that, and obviously uh, the, what I found out afterwards. But that was the, the main thing that piqued my interest, knowing about the return of Daniel, the, the debut, should I say, of of, of uh, Brian Danielson. This is what tipped me over the edge in terms of actually buying it. But I would have found some way to watch it anyway. So if that match was was better then that would also probably give an extra point as well. So in terms of my MVP, I'm going to give it to, and I never thought I would do this for any match ever, Nick Jackson. I had to give it to one of them. Yeah. Because actually, i got to be honest, I was 
I'm blown away really by them because I actually think that this is no longer just about how good wrestlers are. And let's be honest, when it comes to doing the flippy stuff, they are easily the best in the world. They are mm. just phenomenal. Yeah. With maybe the exception of the two guys they had in the match with them, because they are awesome too. I think there's another great flipper we're missing as well, and that's the dolphin. No, um, <laughs> uh, I think Ricochet is the only other one. Maybe Fair. Will Osprey, but yeah. But not only that, and and they don't make they don't miss a step. They never make a mistake ever. You don't see them botching anything. They are just quality. But what they've done in this match, as I said, is just they've just added such an emotion to it and as i said i can only pick one person so i just picked randomly between nick and matt but ultimately they're just phenomenal so he's got my reward for that I who's, the, who's the one with the little bit of hair dye i i, I never tell them apart i don't know because the hill hair dye is incredible yeah it's it's, it's also the i think that the, the other thing that make that makes a young buck so good as well is that what i kind of alluded to earlier the inherent dickheadishness yeah. that they've got to their characters so it's not only is it are they tremendous wrestlers and great storytellers but they, they they buy into their own gimmick which is brilliant i watch nearly all wrestling unavoidably from an insider perspective because that's how i've watched it now since i was about 18 maybe even 16 years old maybe even 14 years old quite frankly but i can still sit here and talk to you about how amazing these two guys are and still dislike them that is i just i that is incredible that shows that they've worked to me entirely maybe they are dickheads in real life but ultimately i don't care i want to believe that they are and they make me believe that they are so i'm happy to believe that they really are dickheads in real life and therefore i don't want to see them win matches and that is the point of a heel and so i'm incredibly appreciative of them for that that point overall for me the cm punk and daniel bryan signings in particular Adam Cole is also very big, but those two, they are the biggest, and I'm going to call them defections, even though arguably CM Punk isn't at all because he's not been in WWE for seven years. But he has argu- appeared on, WWE, on a WWE product, though. Yeah, yes, but it, he wasn't contracted to WWE to do it. He was, he was contract- contracted to Fox, I think. Yes, but it was still a WWE Sure, program. sure, but whatever. I'm going to call them defections, regardless of what anybody says they are or not. These are the two biggest defections in pro wrestling since kevin nash and scott hall went to wcw there's there's been nothing as big there have been at times in the past some big signs made by tna obviously they had kurt angle come in they had christian cage come in themselves they had booker t and they had hogan at one point yeah i know it's a very old hogan but he was still hulk hogan after all they had rick, rick flair, flair his prime <laughs> in his prime yeah absolutely um jeff hardy rob van damme you know they've made big signings in the past other companies but i don't think that they've anybody's ever signed two stars as big as punk and brian are and were during their wwe peaks in a, t- a time when they could still be major stars in the ring and continue to be and so that's why i say these are the biggest defections since those two went over to wcw and let's not forget that kicked off the next five years of possibly the hottest period in the history of professional wrestling. So I don't want to be, I don't want to overdo it because we have no idea whether AEW are going to be able to maintain this buzz, whether they're going to be able to continue to be a really hot product, whether they will be able to manage all this variety of talent that they've now got to manage. How are they going to book these guys effectively? Like you said, old man, that is something that is going to be tricky for them because there's so many elements they've got to try and keep kind of bringing in and putting out and all this kind of stuff. But at this point in time, there's the chance for this to turn into something really big. And I had prior to this podcast thought 
the problem the difference to now for, for now to then is that first of all WWE are much more ensconced in their position in the market there's no moving them no matter how big AEW you get for the time being there's no moving them from that position so i don't think that they'll have the same inclination to improve like they did back in the 90s the only thing that might though that, that you brought up that made me think about this is that the only thing that might make them change just a little bit is that if lots of talent are telling them i'm going to aw because they take the reins off and i can do what i want to do mm. And that might be the only thing that starts to to stop them, maybe starts them going, well, this talent is we really want to keep hold of. We really like them, but they're threatening to go to AEW because they'll get more freedom. We might have to loosen the reins to keep them, just to keep them here. Um, because the financial package that are being is being offered is is competitive and because they'll have the freedom and because they won't have the road schedule, as you said, Tom. So that gives me a small amount of hope that this might still actually help WWE. I never thought it would, because, as I said, I don't think they've got the inclination to do, given their position in the business, given the guaranteed income they get from the Peacock deal. But if they feel like they have to do it to keep certain talents, that might improve things just a bit. I hope so. So what we have got left today, we've got obviously just a couple of bits of business. I'm not going to do a plug because we're over three hours into the podcast. If you have got this far, you've done very well to get this far. So I don't think you need a a plug, but we have got the game. So I'm going to give you the game this week. So I had to quickly change this before we did the podcast, because, as I said, we weren't originally going to cover AEW All Out. So today we have got a little bit of a twist, a tiny little bit of a twist. So I'm still going to ask you to name a certain category of wrestlers, but you're going to get points for each one you can name. Okay. so I have got the PWI 500 from last year, 2020. Okay. the I've got the 100, the top 100. I haven't gone the full 500. I'm going to incentivize you, though to find the highest in the list so basically if you get number one you get 100 points if you get number 100 you get one point that's how it's going to work so i'm incentivizing you to get the highest up the list you possibly can each time if you get one wrong that's not a problem you just won't score any points if you get three wrong though you're eliminated and the other person can continue going on until they get three wrong of (laughs) course So just to make this podcast extra specially long, yeah, we're going for something very, very different again. So I'm going to start with you, old man. Off you go. Kenneth Omega. Kenny Omega was number 13. So that is 88 points for old man. Uh, AJ Styles. AJ Styles was 10th. So that's 91 points for Tom. Damn it. Uh, Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho. Um, this is going to be a, a challenge because it's such a big list. So Chris Jericho was number three, and that's 98 points extra to old man. He now has 186. Ah. Um, I'm going to go with uh, boss. Oh fuck, I can't remember his name now. Uh, do you know? I'm going to go. I'm going to play it. So I'm going to go with Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns was 14th on the list for 87 points. So you are now eight points behind old man. Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre was number four. 97 points so old man now has 283 uh i am going to go with kevin owens yes he is 37th on the list for 64 points nick jackson i'm sorry nick jackson (laughs) (laughs) nick jackson 75th on the list 26 points lovely (laughs) i am gonna go with matt jackson (laughs) oh sorry (laughs) 
That's a clinic. So Matt Jackson, two places above Nick. Yes! Fuck off, old man, you prick. <laughs> uh, Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins, eighth, 93 points. Big score How's that, that Tommy? Dude, I was going to absolutely hit you with a fucking big old fucking bollock of an answer then. I've forgotten the cunt's name. <laughs> the Rainmaker, Tinky. Him, that bloke from Japan. I'll give you the Rainmaker. Kazuchika Okada was sixth, 95 points. Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes, seventh, 94 points. Comes back with a big shot there, old man. Currently, the score is a Tom 365, old man 496. Uh, Hangman Adam Page. Adam Page was 33rd, 68 points. John Moxley. The big 100 points to old man. Oh oh my God, these people are deluded. I'm sorry, but I, t- oh. I, I, I don't know how many times I need to explain this. It is a kayfabe list. <laughs> I know it's a, a vile list is what it is. Um, I am going to go with when was this? Is this last year's or this year? Last year. So it would have been done in about September of last year. I will go for Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley. I was 44th, 57 points. Seamus. It's a shameful thing. Lobster head. Uh, I don't think we've got one here. No Seamus. No Seamus. It is no a Seamus. shameful thing. So that's one life lost, old man. Uh, Kofi. Kofi Annan. Kofi Kingston, ninth, 92 points. He's on the comeback trail. Biggie. Not old man. Another no, I didn't think lost. so as soon as I said it. Um, Daniel Bryan. Danny Ryan, 30 seconds, 69 points. Fuck's sake. Tom very much playing the long game here, picking up the small points and taking the lead, 651 to 596. Adam Cole, oh, old man, has now got the top four on the list. 99 points for that one, old man. Um, Andrade. Andrade, 27th position, 74 points. Braun Strowman. Yes, 19th position, 82 points. Ricochet. Ricochet, 56th, 45 points. Antonio Cesaro. I'm afraid not, old man. No, I didn't think so. I will just check. No, I just checked his old name as well, just in case, because sometimes PWI kept the old names. So, old man, you have maxed out your lives, and you only have a seven-point advantage that Tom has three lives to get. So, uh, old man, uh, Tom, that over to you. So, Shinsuke Nakamura. Shinsuke Nakamura, 26th place, 75 well points. That was uh, outstanding. That was very good. Happy for you to continue, Tom. Um, I'll go with a couple more. Uh, Orange Cassidy. Oh, he's, he's, he's doing something now. 84th place, 17 points. Um, I am now going to go for... I got. I, I want. I want to smash him, Tinky. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm gonna go for um, Billy the Fish. Bobby Fish is not on the list. Ah, oh, fuck lost you! Life. Lost a life. One already, mate. I don't know. What oh, that was. Uh, Still got two lives. Still got two lives. Oh, I've lost a life. Is it? Is this male wrestlers? It's all male wrestlers, yes, apologies. Oh, oh, thanks, yes. 
Um, I am going to go now. I'm going to go for Cannonball Taffy Ojun. <laughs> <laughs> what are you actually going for? <laughs> uh, I'm going to. Okay, I'm going to chuck. I'm going to chuck uh, Ray Phoenix. I don't think so. Hang on. Fuck you. No, no Ray Phoenix. Do you know what that is? That is some fucking Trump loving <laughs> bullshit from PWI. Not like in the Mexicans. I know what they're you, You've got one more, one more life, and if you could just get fifteen points, you'd be beating old man by a hundred. Oh, okay. Oh, suddenly his <laughs> fucking game piece is on, isn't it? He's lit a fire under me now. Um, Scott Steiner. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure that's what you want to go for? That's my final answer. He's got to be on there. <laughs> I think uh, I think you've done some Steiner maths there. Yeah. Oh, that was what I've done, not. isn't it? Yeah. Fortunately not, Tom. You did win. You did win. 862 to 777. That was uh, well good shit. Well done. Well done, Tinky as well. Who in the top 20 have you missed? I don't go through the top 100 because I don't care. But who <laughs> in the top 20 have you missed? I, so, reckon, I reckon Kyle O'Reilly's in there. So, okay. The number 20 is Jacob Fatu. Don't know anything Jake? about him. Uso? No, he's, he's not a new, He's not one of the Usos. He's not, he's not someone who's on WWE. He actually works for Major League Wrestling. No idea who he is. He's obviously one of the family. But, How the fuck know. are we supposed to get that, Tinky? It's a bloody uh, fix. 18 is Rush, who is a Ring of Honor wrestler. We've no, got right. 17, Kota Ibushi from New Japan. 16, Bray Wyatt. 15... <laughs> Reigning at the time, NWA world champion Nick Aldis. 12, Brock Lesnar. Uh. 11, Keith Lee. And five, the only one who didn't get outside the top 10, Tetsuya Naito from, again, New Japan. So, oh, my favourite. Tip of my tongue. You did, you did miss a lot of people that you should have probably got. Um, and always go with The Miz, of course, and Dolph Ziggler. They were on the list. Um, and there are various others, as you said. I'm not going to go through the, through all the list. Although you could have said Pentagon Junior because he is on the list. He was going to be next before I said Steiner. Ah, well, there we go. There we <laughs> go. So that just about wraps everything up for this mammoth recording this week. Um, yeah. Old man, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. I'll remember that tag team match for a bloody long time, and so will the listener. And I'll also remember Ken Patera. And Tom, thank you for your contributions as well. Cheers, guys. <laughs> we'll be back again next week with more random wrestling review. But until then, take care.